and welcome to You Made Me Watch That, where two film studies professors aim to expand each other's cinematic knowledge one recommendation at a time. I am your co-host, Colleen Kennedy-Carpot. And I am your co-host, Wickham Flanagan. And this episode is our summer rundown, where we talk about the films that we've been watching all summer. But we do have two specific recommendations, including... Asteroid City from me. And they clone Tyrone from me. All right. So let's get straight to it. We have a lot to talk about. It has been, we just got done recording our Barbenheimer episode. Don't spoil that. Oh, I just. They're, they're weeks apart. I, yes, but but I mean, the movies are back, baby. <laughs> yeah. We got to carry that enthusiasm Indiana Jones to everything seven. else. I did not see it. I, I, will, I will tell Spoilers. you. Spoilers. We, we might do an Indiana Jones episode in the future I, where we yeah. will talk about that movie. We I, will I, not well, talk about that movie now. But. No, because I have like four of them to catch up on. <laughs> to three to of them. Three, at least three. I did yeah. see the one with aliens, so you can imagine how excited I am about seeing <laughs> the rest of them. But anyways, um, stay tuned for Indiana Jones. I will say... Um, Anyway, no, we're going to get into that later, but I, I, I missed Indiana Jones. I missed The Little Mermaid because you know, my, my dad and my husband got to see Indiana Jones. And my Did you miss The my Flash? Grandmother, or my, my mother, their grandmother, um, took my daughters to see The Little Mermaid. And I went to TJ Maxx. I have no regrets. Even if the movies are bad. Were there Little Mermaid TJ is still there merchandise <laughs> at TJ Maxx? Um, this is an important question. That's a good question. I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't think it's too early because TJ Maxx. Barbie merchandise. Oh, there's Barbie merchandise literally everywhere. It's they don't have to do much specific movie stuff. Yeah, that's another bit of genius with the Barbie marketing. It's like if you got anything Barbie, you are already in. My, um, my favorite thing, not going off of that to Warner Brothers specifically, their marketing for the Flash movie, because that movie oh. was going to go down in flames, regardless of what they did. I think it's their biggest flop to Maybe date. a flash in the pan? Panning the Flash? Um, in case Thank viewers you can't hear it, my soul <laughs> left my body. Um, and that's the podcast, everybody. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. <laughs> no, um, no one, I mean, people do care about the Flash, but no one really is really? jumping out of... <laughs> Jumping out to watch a Flash movie, so they put Batman in it. They put all the Batman in it, and, and, and that's how they marketed the Flash. Essentially, no, no, no. What they did was they did the surreptitious thing where they had all these pre-screenings where audience would they would talk about audience reactions, loving it, and then they would release these things like Tom Cruise talked to the director of the Flash and told him it's one of the best films he's ever seen, or. Or um, uh, Tom Cruise said that something. Allegedly? Yes, or Tom or, Cruise just loves the movies though. Who's like, the Who's the guy M who made movies. Guardians of the Galaxy? Who's in oh, charge of? Gun. Yeah, he said it was one of the best. So it's all these like word of mouth, like the Flash is secretly excellent, and then the Flash comes out, and everyone's like, "Who cares? It's okay." <laughs> we uh, point is, I did not see the Flash, nor did I care to. <laughs> nor uh, did anyone else apparently. Apparently, and the movies are still back. I mean, well, the thanks movies to Oppenheimer, have which we just talked about. Yeah, well, yes, anyway, and other things as well. So we have our, our core films yes. to talk about, and then we'll do the rest of the rundown. Because we got um, a bunch of random stuff, because we watched a lot of things. Well, yeah, we, we've been uh, out of the studio for several weeks, yes. and there's there's been a lot of stuff to watch from this summer, a lot of stuff to catch up on. Um, but we've got two rather different um, core yes. films here, and plus a bonus film that's a bit of a catch-up. Um, so do you want to start with They Clone Tyrone or Asteroid City? Let's start with Asteroid City. 
Okay. I think that makes sense because it, it, as, as I mentioned in our Barbenheimer episode, if there is a double feature that emerges organically from the new offerings this summer, to me, it is Oppenheimer and Asteroid City together. Um, they share this theme of times they are a change in, holy crap, we're in this new world of technology and et cetera. And what do we do? Like, There's no answer to the question, but it's the question itself that becomes really anxiety inducing. <laughs> and of course, because it's a Wes Anderson film, it, it's very chill about it. It gets, <laughs> it's, it's not chill in the least, but it, it does get answered. Reflective in, and... Yes, exactly. It, it, we, we get to engage with melancholy yeah. and individual stories and it plays out on a less epic scale yes. than Oppenheimer does, but it, it is astonishing to me. And Asteroid City came out first and I did make a point of going to the theater. I do try to go and see Wes Anderson's movies in the theater. And I did you know, not. I wish later. I did. It I was, did yeah, I mean, it was, it's all, it's, I, I do think his movies benefit from the big screen yeah. because he uses so much of it. But it's, it, it is, there's always that problem of you're looking at some cool or cute or attractive thing in one corner and there's the rest of the frame that's got just as many things going for it. And it just, I felt, I felt this in Asteroid City more than in a lot of his other movies. You just don't have time to put it all together. Like, as it's on to the next thing and it's on to the next thing and I you're actually, jumping around with I the have, time frames and the different media because you've got theater, you've got television, I you've got felt movies. I actually felt the exact opposite. I mean, really? I understand that it was jumping around a lot. But yeah. What, what occurred to me, I rather enjoyed Asteroid City. Really? I don't know what, what my bingo card of Wes, well, <laughs> Wes Anderson, it, it worked out this way. I've not been a fan of his like I, I i was middling on isle of dogs i was middle I, oh, isle of dogs was not great and real in retrospect i really did not like french dispatch and i've pinpointed exactly what it is i like wes anderson when it you really can take it all in when there's mm. a real sense of place and i understand mm. french dispatch has that to a certain extent but french yeah. dispatch it's it's always a montage or a shot or a tableau or just constant movement to different meticulously crafted little scenes and scenarios because he's got three stories yeah, to get through multiple stories it was more than three i think or yeah with yeah, all these interludes it's a bunch yeah and what i appreciate about asteroid city and i think for me and this is maybe going back to my why i hated the souvenir <laughs> not to talk about the souvenir i really don't like it when i have a and i understand there are authentic parts of the souvenir especially souvenir part two I don't like a perceived like arrogance on the filmmaker of the filmmaker like look at what I am doing. And with the French Dispatch, there was a bit of look at what I am doing. I am putting this in the frame and this and this is cool. And Wes Anderson, I think, can push people away because of that meticulous nature, really feeling like he's showing off hmm. a little bit. Look at all these actors I can get. And oh, obviously, yeah. French. I mean, uh, Asteroid City has that as well. Oh. But with Asteroid City. It was like, look, I'm just doing a little theatrical play, and it's like a callback to Rushmore. And it and, is, yeah. And and and, and Schwartzman is, is back, so that also sort of lends and itself to that. The the his love interest in Rushmore is back, not the teacher, but the she shows up briefly. I forget her name, but she's, right. Um, she's uh the ex-wife of Adam, uh, uh what's his the mopey guy? What's his name? The pianist. Uh. Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody. She shows up. For huh, okay. I think that's the. I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. She, I don't think she's been in a lot of movies since Rushmore. But um, 
it, that is why this looks so quaint. It's it's a it's a theatrical play. It looks like it's made because it is because it's a theatrical play, mm. and we're just gonna hang out here with these wackadoo people who all have emotional problems, and it's it felt so refreshingly simple. So you're you're saying that it was cutting around a lot. Like there yeah. was a, there was a franticness to some of it, but yes. like. I don't know the sense of place, yes, and the 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 slightly more relaxed tone to it. Even the meta nature of it, it was like the 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 playwright falling mm-hmm. in love with the the main actor that he's casting. Yes, this flirtation that's going on. It's like it's a fairly it's a fairly un un um like it's not a bombastic no. scene. It, it's no. very. It's all very done. There are bombastic scenes in and there climactic are. scenes yeah. in Asteroid City, but yeah, that's true. But it felt like those were earned because we've been we've been chilling for a while. And I, I don't. I want to say like it's not a very. I found it kind of dull, but I found <laughs> I found Asteroid City pleasantly dull. Of just like I'm lost in this town with these people. Well, it's not even. It's just sort of stranded. Yes, just like about. in some sort of purgatory. Yeah. And it's basically Los Alamos, which, yes. is, yeah. which is why it makes for a very nice pairing with Oppenheimer. It's it's using that kind of isolation for a different purpose. Yes, um, and and I and I just I, I think I just appreciated him just sort of like just chilling a little bit, like something like Budapest Hotel. I understand why that can't chill. Yeah, because it's a farce. It, it's got all this. It, it, it's about the 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 goofy machinations of it, and then it kind of hits you with this. Sort of emotional kind yeah. of gut punch. Well, but. yeah. Well, in Grand Budapest, like the chilling happens at the level of the the middle meta story. Yes, where it's the author talking to Zero Mustafa, like you know, fifty years after the events, um, or however long it was. Um, so yeah, it's it. We we have times to chill and times to not chill. And here it's like the time where you would expect the most action to be taking place is the time where you're forced to chill. Yes. <laughs> and take it in and visit different characters. So it is. But but at the same time, I do feel like it's like. And then we jump to the television set, and then we jump jump to you know the moment of creation, and then it's like suddenly Schwartzman is like moving through backstage at the theater, and yeah, and I could Margot see Robbie is there, and so we bring Barbie yes. into this. Yeah, Barbie. <laughs> Up. I think I think that aspect I could see how that could rub people the wrong way. I, I didn't dislike it, but it yeah. was it's just you're right. Like there's this sort of you know this use of time where it is like there are moments when we're just sort of meant to contemplate things, and there's sort of stuff that is held at arm's length, yeah. which again gets to this the the themes of of the film. Um, but then there are other times where it's like we don't have time to to navigate that space at all because it's boom, 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 and it's this and it's that, and I have to, you know, and we get busy again. Well, it's like, almost mentally. like all the anxiety-ridden stuff outside yeah. of the flirtation scene, all the anxiety-ridden stuff is with the, the players, yes. right? <laughs> it's them not knowing what they're doing or the um, Adrian Brody being mopey about the production, his wife leaving him. So, like, all the... <laughs> more frenetic stuff is them putting on the show. Yes, but the show yes. itself is not that. No, frenetic. no. I mean, that, but that's the thing. Like we, uh, the question is, is like, is that really the show that right, we're right, going right, to be right. seeing? And so we we end up, you know, bringing that in. I mean, what the French Dispatch did for magazine writing as a medium, I think what we get here is performance mm-hmm. in all the different media that we you can know, find. You, performance. Do you know what it reminded me of? What? Holy Motors. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit of Holy Motors in there. Interesting. And I liked it more than Holy Motors. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's high. Well, okay. 
Great. In the nature of deconstructing that. Yeah. Different types yeah. of performance. I mean, this, yeah, this raises a lot of, I think, very subtle questions about how writing and performance fit together, how art and life are fused together. And then we've got this layer of science put over top of it. Yes. And that's and paranoia. Like, and, and paranoia yeah. and and just... Quarantine. Yeah. And, and isolation. I mean, in that sense, it's it's a real COVID film. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, so, I mean, this I'm pretty sure would have been, you know, conceived of and I maybe even filmed partially. I mean, things are still being filmed under COVID protocols in Hollywood anyway. Um, I mean, now that this, there's the strike and everything and we should yeah, yeah. note, yes, you know, solidarity oh, yeah. with, solidarity. The, with the striking unions, my God. Um, but yeah, there's this whole layer of the science, the science nerds. You love to see it. Um, yeah. 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 A lot of science nerds. A lot of science nerds. And that nerds. felt like a little bit of a flavor of like... Um... Moonrise Kingdom, kind of there, the young, yes. young love and there was and, that and, yeah. and nerdy, affable people yes. finding each other. Yes, yes. And the the misfits coming together to form their own crowd, and then there's the the Memory class game. of the class oh. of the kids, like the younger kid in the classroom that, that comes. I to appreciated this. that uh, Jason Schwartzman's daughters were like into horror stuff. They kept going, "We're the witches. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're a witch mummy, and, and she's a." <laughs> She's a witch <laughs> and, alien. And, and yeah, and I, I get the impression, too, that their older brother, who's there for the science competition, like he got to name them because they're like Andromeda yeah. and like bit <laughs> constellation names for these like triplet girls. Yeah. It just. Yeah. But like, I I mean, and just like, I don't know, and not not to Los, Al- Los Alamos is perfectly fine. But like these again, maybe it is like a nostalgia for these kind of out in the way towns that have barely anything going on in America. I've never yeah. been to a deserty region, I should say, but ah. like those kind of like sandwich stands, diner yeah. type things. I've yeah. seen those where they yeah, have sure, all the sure. advertisements and stuff on mm-hmm. it. So uh, and though the the cabins that are run by yeah. Steve Carell who has yeah. a martini machine which yeah. was which was nice. Um But I mean, I saw Asteroid City before I saw Oppenheimer and is and as soon as they started building Los Alamos and Oppenheimer, going, oh my God, it's Asteroid City! <laughs> it's the set. It's just not as pastel. It's a lot more. Where's depressing. Matt Dillon? Where's um, what? Matt Dillon. Oh, oh yeah, he was in there for like five minutes. Okay, I ha- I do have to say, it's quite the cast. Um, as usual, we we can nominate MVPs for this cast because there's so many people, and I have my nomination that I'll put forth. But I do think that. We, I, I mean, we just got done. I just got done talking about how like there's the freneticism that, yeah. that, that, but I mean, there's just too many people like really like with French dispatch, you can get away with it because you've got different people in each vignette. And here it was just like, like Tilda Swinton's in it. And it's not like she has much to she do. She has a weird connection like, with the, the what, kid. It just, yeah. it just, did we need that to do the rest of it? I don't think that we did. Um, I'm just Steve thinking. Steve Carell is in it, pinch hitting for Bill Murray, who couldn't film because he got COVID, I guess. So he sort or of. Or he was canceled, I think. There was... No, it was, it was because he had COVID. I do not think that Wes Anderson is going to cancel Bill Murray. Bill Murray has been canceled and soft canceled for a long long time and you know not without reason the guy really rubs a lot of people the wrong way but um it was because he had covid during like the week or so that he was supposed to be filming that's that's it's for whatever reason and then as soon as as that role is not bill murray it's like it doesn't need to be there to be honest steve corral being in there he was i mean he was fine but it's just like you know, I, I did sort of feel like there was some fluff around the edges. I feel I need to watch it again to see if it fits together a little bit better. Better, but I, I just agree. I just think it's a little overstuffed. Um, I kind of like that about it because it was it was more 
like languishing. Like it, it was overstuffed in that you are just sort of trapped with these people. <laughs> like I, I could go for, I could watch a whole movie where it's Jason Schwartzman talking to Scott Johansson outside their window. Yeah. Like that was such a beautifully like simply framed. Yeah. And that's what I mean by it, him just being a little bit more like taking his time with it. Yes. Like like we're just gonna hang out with these characters and their yeah. connection in this weird way. And of course it's meticulously shot and he's got the you know, the pans and all mm-hmm. the rest of it, but it's it I don't know. It it had a it had more of a maybe maudlin's not the right word. You are starting with Jason Schwartzman talking about his wife dying three weeks ago. Explaining to the kids and he hasn't it's one of the told first things the kids yes. Yet. And that's like, geez, that's what you're starting with. But then yeah. there's some Episcopalian jokes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like it was it was just this kind of refreshingly just kind of I don't know. I just I always had the sense of like uh, and then when you get to the military, things get kind of ramp up and you yes. have more of a and as I said, the anxiety of the players performing it. Right. Um, but but I didn't mind the overstuffed nature of it, it. I thought it was paced pretty well. OK. okay. I, and, and the fact that it was too long. I kind of like that about it because it was, was more. Was it too long? Well, you said overstuffed. That, but well, over, no, overstuffed, I think, is a little different. Oh. I, I don't think it's too long. Sorry. I just think there's. Uh, I would have preferred more relationships to be given the space that Johansson and Schwartzman okay. got to have. Okay, I can, I can see that. Yeah. That's uh, uh, Instead, what we get is, oh, look, there's Tilda Swinton. <laughs> oh, look, it's Steve and Carell. And you're, you're, you don't like that. You I, don't I like. Mean, I, I I do like seeing them, but I just think that in in the end, like the only one of that that works Jeff is Jeff Goldblum as the alien. <laughs> now you're spoiling things. Sorry, um, that, that was pretty funny. Uh, that was a good one. Margot Robbie showing yeah. up, and you think she's not given nearly enough to do, but of course that's the point because she's playing this this very present absence. And so again, we're back to Oppenheimer with the 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 absence that creates a presence. But of course, in Asteroid City, we do get to see her. And they talk about why did they cut your scene? And this, this, it's just uh, my gut feeling leaving the theater after seeing Asteroid City was that dialogue is the crux of this picture between Schwartzman and Robbie. And like that, yeah. that that's really the human theme that we have. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I also really appreciated that there was a weird confrontational climax that was completely out of left field in Asteroid City. I don't do, I don't know if I want to spoil it. It's hard to hard to spoil cuz it's so surreal. Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Uh It it's something straight out of Twin Peaks. <laughs> and I was I was there for it. I was like and it felt like a like a confrontation. It felt like it felt like Wes Anderson had something he wanted to say. Yes, yes, yes. And, and that scene you referred to, it feels that way as well, where yes. it just feels like he he's more committed to the messaging rather yes. than just being meticulous. Yes, there are moments, and there are multiple moments in Asteroid City where the message just hits you in the face. Yeah. That, that exchange between Schwartzman and Robbie is one of them. The other one is uh, Jeffrey Wright as the general, yes. the military, just coming out. And again, it's, it's a speech that is like stylized Oppenheimer. It is like, if you wanted a nice, quiet life, you should not have been born in this era. And yes. it's like new world and we're in it, whatever it was. But I remember just being riveted to my seat. Jeffrey Wright is my MVP of this film. <laughs> okay. He's He's the MVP of everything. Yeah, yeah. He's fantastic. He had the best story in French Dispatch as well. And it's like, where has he been for all of Wes Anderson's career? I like to think he's about- He's so, like, he embodies this. He he gives such a full commitment to the roles that he has with Anderson. He brings so much to this casting as the general, Yeah, I think. And it just, 
He's so good. <laughs> he's so, so he'll good. He'll always be Bernard from Westworld to me. But um <laughs> he, or uh he's uh, he's also in those Bond films. But um he uh I, I always I like to imagine that that interaction when uh he meets Wes Anderson for the first time. Like what does that Jeffrey, look like? What is yeah. Yeah, what does that look like? Wes is like, I've seen a few of you things and Jeffrey's like, I'm a big fan. And then I'd like do they do the audition and then they just, just hit it off and because I agree, he feels like he's always been a part yes. of Wes Anderson's and, and no, oeuvre. and it, it's just since yeah. French Dispatch. But yeah, it just I I hope they have a long and fruitful partnership. I just put him in everything. But getting back to my confrontational yeah. climax, right. <laughs> if you if you don't go to sleep, you can't wake up. If you don't go to sleep, yes. you can't wake up. If you don't go to sleep, you can't wake up. It is so eerie, yeah, and so out of left field yeah. for Wes Anderson. You're going, and ah! I'm going oh god. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, what happened? Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I thought I was really. It was nice. It was shocking. I, I, mm. I just, I, I think it. Asteroid City. I, I totally get why someone could watch Asteroid City, and be like, oh, it's just another one of his things. It's another thing. Yeah, but but mm. I, maybe in contrast to French Dispatch, maybe, mm. maybe because of the more timely message, maybe because I did watch it after Oppenheimer, well, maybe. <laughs> That's going to highlight different things, yeah. Or maybe I'm more, to be honest, maybe I'm more connected to uh, like theater and performance just in general hmm. than I am with like magazine culture. Hmm. Wasn't there a whole Japanese connection to Isle of Dogs and oh, nuclear I love, stuff? It was set in Japan, oh yeah. My God. The, and like, Greta Gerwig was like the the white exchange student. There's a weird is, connection here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there, there are connections Wes all Anderson over the place. Is, seems, it seems like he's invested in that all stuff. All over the place. But, um, I just really... Again, I, I don't think it's like a it's a exciting film that's gonna dazzle people, but I I appreciated it in the context of Wes Anderson's oeuvre. I appreciated how relatively straightforward and simple, <gasps> and uh, and and impactful it it was. It, it was it was it was more of like a hangout movie. I know that's a weird point of comparison. No, it could it could I, I can see how it would get to that point, but I think you would need to go through it a couple more times Maybe, to sort yeah. of iron out how it all hangs together. Because I left with I left with a very clear idea of like what the messages were. Yeah. Because those are, like you said, like it spikes in ways that not all of Wes Anderson's films end up spiking. Yes. Um, and those come through very clearly, but the way that it's structured, I think, is a lot more complex than it is. But I think that belies. I, th anyway. I totally agree. The way it, the way it's executed is more complicated. But yeah. I think it just the fundamental notion, the fundamental context of this is just a this is just a stage production. And in fact, it's a dramatization of the behind the scenes mm -hmm. of the stage production mm -hmm. hosted by Brian Cranston <laughs> For some who reason. shows up in the movie he's great and he goes wait am I supposed to be in this part yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a nice little meta joke yeah. um yeah that 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 completely worked for me I've just mm -hmm. like and again maybe it again it is like a weird Rushmore callback because uh Max Fisher and that puts on these elaborate uh, stage performances of like yeah. apocalypse now and things. yes um yeah so I don't know I I weirdly liked it I, I don't I, I wouldn't rush out and you know tell people that they must see Asteroid City, but um, I mean if you're in the tank for Wes Anderson, do not miss this one. Yeah, um, like yeah. See it. I think it's already on VOD. It didn't last super long, in the, but it did well apparently. Yes, it, it did. It, I noticed it, that. It yeah. made money in theaters. I think they brought it to on demand too quickly, personally. But I guess it's doing well on demand as well. So if you if you're a lapsed Wes Anderson fan, it's a refreshingly unpretentious, weird little thing. And I, I, I do not think anybody would describe anything Wes Anderson does as unpretentious. 
I did not. I did <laughs> not get that vibe from this. I, I there, there's still pretension. But there I mean, is, it's, but it it's... was more sparing, sparing pretension <laughs> throughout. Okay, I think it's interesting that you say that. I disagree. I, I felt um, assaulted by the pretension in French, French Dispatch, Dispatch. Just like, just like showing off constantly. Anyway, interesting. Okay, I, I, I don't think that's been diminished at all. <laughs> But it's it's yeah it's it's. Really... I agree with you that like just having Tilda Swinton there for like half a day, it's like why why yeah. why then again why not? Um, yeah, but yeah. Anyway, um, I will say that the the newcomers to the Anderson verse uh, were pretty well served. Um, Johansson, um, I guess, is new to West yes. End. She's great. Tom Hanks as uh, Schwartzman's father in law was also fantastic. Yes, wonderful moment of transparency you know like that's what richard dyer talks about in genre films you want transparency hank's basically saying like i don't like you <laughs> like flat like okay wow I mean, like we know where we stand with all of it like that was fantastic um and just he he really interestingly i didn't think tom hanks would fit and he fits perfectly uh leave schreiber hope davis Cranston, as you mentioned um maya hawk as this teacher yeah. with the kids they have a wonderful little musical number she dances with the one of the guys from yes. death of stalin but that's yeah, a, <laughs> yeah that no actor. it's yeah anyway as with all wes anderson you're either in or you're out if you're out i don't think there's any no yeah if you you are a non-wes andersonian it's all right go just go see oppenheimer <laughs> and pretend that you've seen both of them yeah they're very similar i mean in ways, but when that, they were looking at the nuclear explosion. God, that's a video essay right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Is is the sort of parallels Executions. there? Yeah, and I will say what was interesting is going to see Asteroid City in the theater. There was a preview for Oppenheimer. There was not one for Barbie, and I found that a real like. Why not do both? It's AMC. You're gonna have both. What? Like it's just you're there's just as the much overlap. There's the... just as much overlap with Barbie as there is with Oppenheimer. You're gonna have to send your letter. To you got the Margot AMC Robbie. People. You've got this like pastel color palette going for it. It was just so weird. Like why? I, I seen why you would think Oppenheimer would go. For, and yes, it's thematically very similar, but it was just weird. Like, did they think it's a dude thing? Like, I, I just I didn't. I get should it. say that like, Asteroid City wasn't so like overtly comedic. As a lot of West End, like it was funny. It's still very charming. Oh, yeah, there, there's some but, good jokes, but it's not like a full-on comedy. No, um, you don't get madcap stuff. It's no. too, it's too much about grief to yes. get madcap. Yes, yeah, it, it is much more like like the Royal Tenenbaums. I would say is also about. See, this, I hate that. I movie. know you hate that movie, but it's. A, <laughs> I I think it strikes a similar tone in its humor. It's it's a darker humor. It's you know maybe it, yeah. we're we're looking at this uh, at the you know grief and the human condition, um, and you know our place in the universe and this uncertainty of a Here, new era be, and things like that. There's a I don't know if schmaltz is the word, but there is a there's a schmaltziness to how it's handled in Royal Tenenbaums, and I think the Darjeeling Limited. Oh, Dar- we're not talking about that one. That I think Asteroid City completely avoids because it's sort of more static and mm. detached. Mm. It, it I don't know I don't know if I felt it more again I wouldn't say I was I was emotionally you know super in tune with Asteroid City but I appreciated that I was invited to just sort of like as an observer just sort of take it in and make with it what I will mm-hmm. rather than Royal Tenenbaums which feels very and I haven't seen it in a while but it feels very like manipulative occasionally but that that's just me that's more mine okay but anyway, so two thumbs up for an asteroid city. Yeah. Against all odds. That's fantastic. Again, I'm kinda, glad you enjoyed it. Kind of dull, but I liked it. 
I liked how it was dull. It was one of those movies I could fall asleep to, like just yeah. fall asleep to Scarlett Johansson and Jason Schwartzman talking about her performance where she has pills all around her and various things. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I enjoyed it. Yeah, just deeply, deeply depressed people. <laughs> well, she's I, playing a depressed person again. It's the it's the Holy Motors thing. Well, it's you know, performance versus life, and, and then she where talks about they, her daughter. Yeah, and yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, they bond over single parenting. Um, I was surprised that I enjoyed it as much. I was also surprised by they clone Tyrone. Oh my god! Where did this movie come from? I um. <laughs> Wherever it came from, it's on Netflix. I know. Uh, I came back from America, <laughs> and the first thing I saw was this trailer for yeah, They Clone Tyrone. I'm like, yeah. what? 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 Yeah. It's, I'm surprised it's as under the radar as it's been. Um, did it get a theatrical release at all? Do you know? I want. It probably premiered at a festival, but oh, I, maybe. I, I don't... I, it, it was I bought up by it. Net, it was bought up by Netflix. Oh, so okay, it definitely so did. okay, so it's not a Netflix production, um, but yeah. Anyway, it's there, and I would recommend it. But I have to say, um, it's a little bit. Um, if if you're really jonesing for Boots Riley, and like me, you don't want to give Amazon your money for his new series. What is it? I'm a I'm, I'm a, a Virgo. I'm a Virgo. Yeah, which is getting really good reviews, but I just I don't like giving Bezos my money. <laughs> So I so just Netflix. Things. Netflix is a, is oh, a sweet no, company oh by no, comparison. Again, strike like let's solidarity with everybody on strike and all of these companies need to be paying everybody way more. Um, but you yes, know, it we says look Netflix is a distributor, not a okay. producer. Yeah. Anyway, they clone Tyrone. It's it, it scratches a lot of that same itch. I got to say, um, I enjoyed it more than. Sorry to bother you. Really? Yes. I I enjoyed this, but I. Sorry to bother you. So great. Sorry to bother you. Is great. <laughs> I think sorry to bother you. It's it's a reach exceeds its grasp sort of movie where I, I fundamentally could not really follow the story. Of oh. Sorry to bother you. I could appreciate all the weirdness and everything that was happening in the movie mm-hmm. and the central performance, but I I could not follow what I was like any sort of like. There's a conventionality. There's a lot of things about they clone Tyrone that's not conventional, but there's a conventionality to like. A, a ragtag group of people mm-hmm. solving a mystery. Yes, that I could immediately get behind. Yeah, and and Boots Riley, I like. I'm not. I I think it's a favorable comparison. I I enjoy yep. what Boots Riley's doing. I just think that he's, it's a bit. Um, he's he's a bit out there in comparison. Hmm. And I, you would think I would like that. But well, I think I, Boots Riley is also more willing to um, kind of go a little bit out of his way to bring his politics into his film, and I mean. There's there's some of that and they clone Tyrone as well, but I think it's a, a broader message. Um, anyway, um, like I, what I also appreciated about Sorry to Bother You was like the labor organizing. Speaking of labor and striking and things like that, like how prescient just this this push yeah. to like just move, do something, <laughs> do solidarity, move in unison. I just that's it's really rare to have that spirit captured and centered in a way in film narrative. And I think Boots Riley does a really good job with that. They clone Tyrone is sort of like leaving. There's a comparison to Scooby-Doo that keeps coming up, but it is this, you know, the ragtag group of people solving mystery. And then it's like, well, how does this connect to broader issues like racism and other stuff? Anyway. Um, it's directed by a guy named Jewel Taylor. Jewel Taylor. Who wrote Creed 2 and, yeah. and Space Jam A New Legacy, which is probably yeah. not a good thing to have on your resume, but anyway. Well, it's a franchise with legs. Yeah, <laughs> again. But yeah, where did this come from out of that experience? It's really interesting but to what think I, about. What I love about it, and again, it's it's like it's a perception thing, but it felt like Jewel Taylor 
had this idea, okay? <laughs> and he was like, I'm only going to get one shot at making a movie. Oh, there you go. That's what it sort of <laughs> felt like of like, this is my moment. I'm influenced by Boots Riley. I'm influenced mm -hmm. by Jordan Peele. I'm influenced by yeah. Black Dynamite. Yeah. I'm influenced by all these different things. Uh, Dave Chappelle. I'm going to put all this stuff in my movie and I'm just going to, it's going to, I'm going to revise. Like there's an element of just like cramming it all in there. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I really, and, and some people would say to your point about Asteroid City in a different way, maybe, but it is a bit overstuffed. I think that Claude yeah. Tyrone goes on a little too long. Hmm. Uh, for how simple the premise is. Right. But I wouldn't cut anything because I think Jewel Taylor, uh, to your point about larger issues, I think he's saying everything or most everything he wants to say is, in yeah. one movie. Yeah. Well, yeah. And what is that clone Tyrone about, Colleen? Do you what is that clone Tyrone? <laughs> <laughs> it's about Tyrone and they clone it's, him. And, well, uh, we, well, that. It's a really nice, I have to say, like, that, that. just putting all that off until the very end, like they do, like, yes. you don't get a full explanation for this title until really the very end, so you do have to sit through all and of it. The guy who it's, says that is Jewel Taylor, it's, by it's, the way. It's, this, this, it's fighting against this notion, the quote that I have written down is, assimilation is better than annihilation. Uh, this is, of course, you know, talking about, you know, racial assimilation. Uh, there's an evil geneticist um, who is trying, who basically is like the future of the, of the, the black people is to become more white and obviously like this is an ideology that must be fought um and that's what they end up fighting you know what he's proposing is assimilation by way of annihilation and i mean it's so i mean you can poke holes in this argument and, and obviously they just need to destroy him and you know stand up for black culture as yes. such and and all this but it's also but about it's, the sort of the the who stands to profit from yes, certain aspects sure, of black yeah. culture I mean, it's, or it's, things that have been sort of put onto Yes. Black culture. Yes, yes. Um, it's questions of control, yes. questions of choice. Capitalism does come into this. It's like, what are, you know, what are we consuming? Yes. Is a really big question. What are we consuming and why is it that? <laughs> like, is it something that we control? Is it something that is controlling us? Um, which it's a bit ham-handed the way that's done, but it folds into the mystery in a really interesting way. And that is also um, partially lifted. You've never seen Black Dynamite, have you? We can talk about the whole black exploitation connection. No. Black, I, mean, I mean, I know that's something you know a lot about, but... Um, black Dynamite is like a like a parody of black exploitation. Also, it's sort of just a goofy, irreverent movie. Um, and the, the central um, plot is structured around Anaconda malt liquor, which is advertised similarly how hmm. things are done in They Clone Tyrone. And essentially, it gives uh, seemingly predominantly African American men small penises. That is the that <laughs> is the the, the grand conspiracy of what <laughs> Anaconda Malt Liquor does. And in this movie, they got permission to use Anaconda Malt Liquor, the brand. So um, oh, wow. John Boyega is actually drinking Anaconda Malt Liquor. I do. Um, okay. So it's a direct nod. Uh, oh, there's there's so much referential yes, humor yes, in this yes, movie. That's yes. I, I'm not surprised. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, Hollow Man. <laughs> Like uh, everything about Hollywood. Like, is it honestly just to get a reference to Kevin Bacon so you can get this film in every single game of Six Degrees? <laughs> I think forward. I think Jewel Taylor's just a big fan of Kevin Bacon. I, yeah, he's everywhere. It's, it's like really in it's like in uh, a weird point. Of, I mean, we'll talk about the Jordan Peele connection, but it's like in Keanu when they keep making what's that? <laughs> what's that? Um, that musician George Michael. They keep making a George Michael reference. It just feels like. <laughs> just Key and Peele were just big fans of George Michael and they yeah, wanted to talk just, about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, this does feel a lot, speaking of Jordan Peele, this does feel a lot like Us. Um, yes. Which I, I, I'm, I'm gone on record saying, I think Us is sort of a failure for 
Jordan Peele. I understand many people enjoy that movie, but I don't think it's very scary. I think it's a cool premise, got some cool visuals in it. Um, And this sort of takes that premise of the secret underground layer of people. Um, And I think it does it better because what it deconstructs, not only are the, the, it's the products, but it's also the archetypes. Yes. Uh, uh, Not Tyrone. uh, Fontaine, played by John Poyega, is a character archetype. Mm Mm-hmm. And yes. he is a cliche. Yes. And then Jamie you, Fox. Jamie Foxx. Also. As Slick <laughs> Charles is a cliche. <laughs> and, the, and, 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 and I don't know if it's slightly sexist to think that... I think it's interesting and I think it's deliberate that uh, Tayona Paris, who's also really good as Yo-Yo, yes. um, the prostitute, she has not been cloned. Hmm. Which I think is interesting. Like, she is a byproduct of this system. She is not... A part of it, or she's, she yeah, is, she's not what they need to keep control. Yes, but she is a victim of it. Wow! Because she talks about how she could have done, she could have done other things. Yes, she wanted to move, and she wants to do other yes. things. I mean, that's her her whole motive. Is she's to, obsessed with Nancy Drew, which is great. <laughs> yeah, the Nancy Drew Scooby Doo. There's one point I, I wrote this down too because it was so funny. Um, she get she has to dress up in a costume for something, and then Biddy calls her Carmen Sandiego. Yes. yes. <laughs> Died. A lot of good. It's a very, it's a very casually, very funny movie. Um, yeah, but it's the one-liners like that. It's yes. these referential one-liners. Like if you can get that humor, it is wow. It's, it's just, consistent. But even them is, panicking yeah. over shooting the guy in the lair, and he's like, "Get me some wet nips. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wipe his." And that's she's like, "That's not yeah. gonna help. You shot him." Yeah, the white people parodies are also really hysterical. Oh, yeah. That line about boiling the chicken really bringing out the flavor. It's like yes. Yeah. Well, that oh, feels that man. feels straight out of. Um, <laughs> Sorry to bother you too. There's yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is that sort of ribbing of whiteness as, you know, as essentialist stereotype. But the thing I was surprised about so again, all these stereotypes, deliberately stereotypes. Uh, yeah. the, the Dolomite also connection. Yes. Did you ever see Dolomite is my name? No, but that's very good. Eddie Murphy, right? Yeah, yeah it's yeah, very yeah. good. It's sort of a in the vein of an Edward. I think it's made by the same people, but it's about mm. uh Rudy Rudy Ray. Rudy Ray, something? I forget his last name. Who essentially would play a very similar characters to Jamie Fox, mm-hmm. uh, Rudy Ray Moore? Maybe okay. No, that's another actor from that era. Who played Dolomite? Anyway, um, Dolomite was like a stage name. Um, but I like how it got kind of serious, and it was like they were like real people, and they were dealing with this existential nightmare that they were in, and it it, it became more of a of a character, like they became real in a way. In a movie that starts off very jokey and, you know, like yeah, full they, one-liners, they live, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like what is real. It became I became really attached to these, this rad tag group, specifically these three. Mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx very charming in it. He's um, yeah, he's great. And I, I they're, I, all, really, they're all great. Yes. they have good chemistry together. Yes, um, well, Boyega is very stoic, but he's very. Can we talk about John Boyega generally sure. for a second? I never recognized Boyega. <laughs> like he, I, 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 we're going to talk about this in the, the other recap, but he's also in The Woman King, which I watched on a plane. So I didn't have internet and I couldn't look up, but I'm sitting there looking at Boyega. It is Rudy Ray Moore. Okay. Okay. Sorry, got it right. um, so I'm looking at Boyega and The Woman King going, I know this guy. I know this actor who is like, I'm trying to listen to his voice. It's like, okay, the voice doesn't tell me anything because he's doing this like, this like African yeah. inflected English. Like, like, like that's not telling me. I'm just thinking, I, it took till I got off the plane and I looked, Boyega, of course it's Boyega. Same thing, if I hadn't seen his name, 
like in the credits. I would have done the same thing with this movie. There's something about John Boyega. He disappears. Like Jamie Foxx shows up. Like, there's Jamie yeah, Foxx. But, but the he's like, playing a very showy Jamie Foxx right character. Yes. So, yeah. and, like, and with his voice too. Like you, you hear it and that's yeah. Jamie Foxx. Like Boyega is British for heaven's sake. He was born in London. <laughs> like he, he shows up for interviews with his British. And I'm just like. Wait, who are you again? Like it's 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 there are certain actors, and apparently he's one of them. Where I will sit there and like IMDb it more than once in the same. Are we sure that this is still true? <laughs> yes, apparently it is. I I he is such a chameleon, and then towards the end when he starts to play more than one version of this character, it works so well. It's brilliant casting. He's really great. Yes. Um, he he has a was, man. He's in a little movie called Attack the Block, where he plays a, sort of. He's very young, but he's like a sort of a thuggish British teenager who he is, plays British in that one. Yes. Oh, um, I and, think I've ever seen that. Oh, from it's him. great. It's it's a great little movie. Um, and Nick Frost is in it. Not that that oh. matters, but it, it has a little sort of a Edgar Wright connection. Uh-huh. But um, it, uh, it they have to defend their block from aliens, so it is this sort of high concept okay. kind of similar mm-hmm. to they clone Tyrone in that way. Yes, and he and it was so amazing to watch him in that because he is the central character and he's very similar to Fontaine, where he is sort of stoic and he is the he's the default guy who's gonna has the plan, is gonna do the thing, and he's gonna take action. And then he got to be in Star Wars after that. Yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. so it was so sweet. It's like you know watching actors in these smaller movies go on to do bigger yes. and better things. So it yeah. was nice. Uh, it was even nostalgic for me mm-hmm. to see him return to his stoic roots in this. He's also in that Catherine Bigelow film that I don't think either of Detroit? us have seen. Yes. Oh, I haven't seen it. Either. It doesn't seem like a fun watch. Ooh, it, not a fun, and also just really panned. And why did she get to? Dr- anyway, yeah. I not, really don't have to talk it, about I Detroit. Was, I thought it was well received. Oh, it, it was mixed reviews. Oh, mixed reviews. I and mean, there were a lot of people like, "Why is Catherine Bigelow making a film about like, the of Detroit?" Like, I don't know. I don't it, it was just yeah. It was a little okay. He was anyway. in that. Uh, regardless, yeah, sure. um, he was great. And Tayona Paris. The only thing I knew her from was she was like this thankless sort of agent role. In um, WandaVision, she hmm. she and she's one of the Marvels oh. Oh. in the new Marvels movie, and so it's just nice to see her just kind of cut loose and be be fun. She had a wacky. lot to do. Yes, like she's really she has to hold the whole thing together in a way that the men don't. Like like it is interesting how they're each sort of given these different tasks, and, and Jamie Foxx is sort of the like most loosey goosey. <laughs> but even he has an existential crisis. He, does. he says pimping yes. ain't what it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, of course yeah. what you realize your whole life is manufactured as a as a Yeah. There's no, he has a great line, you know, ain't no easier mark than a sucker who sees exactly what he expects to see. And so there is this capacity to sort of subvert expectations, go against these kinds of constructions. Yeah. It's 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 yeah. so cool. It it's is. so it's clever. And I, I think it's a bit overlong, and and but again, I go back to this idea that he just put everything he wanted to in a movie. Well, that's, but it's yeah. got all this stuff. It's got all this. Jordan Peele does the same thing. He puts too much in his movies. That's uh, true for I... for yeah for Nope. Also us. Us. I, I wish he put more into us. Oh but really? Uh, us just feels half baked to me. But okay. anyway, right. um, my point is. What I don't understand, and maybe you don't feel as strongly about they clone Tyrone as I do. Maybe that's totally fine. I I love Black Dynamite. I love black exploitation. I enjoyed it. I, yeah. uh, 
But I, I really loved They Clone Tyrone, probably unreasonably, <laughs> because to me it's like, and I look at reviews of They Clone Tyrone, and this is what bothers me, and I understand ratings don't matter, blah, blah, blah. Asteroid City, people are not going to like Wes Anderson. I understand that. I look at They Clone Tyrone, and people are like, it's great, four stars or whatever. I'm like, what else would you want out of They Cloned Tyrone? Like, as a positive review, I don't understand how They Cloned Tyrone could be any any better than what it is, if that makes any sense. Like, what is it about it that could be improved? I think it is like a a perfect film in its own way. So for you, it's a five star. It's a five star. I mean, that's what I put on Letterbox. Not that we need to quote my Letterbox. Well, well. I, I, just movie reviews in general, I find that to be, we're going to talk about a little movie called Nobody in a bit, which is a silly <laughs> B movie. But it's like, I, within its own parameters, it's, it's the thing I've been wrestling with for a while. It's like, when you went to see Scream 5. Which I did not. What were you expecting? Did you get what you wanted out of Scream 5? Then is it a perfect movie for Scream 5? Do you have to be emotionally devastated or in tune with something? I guess I was very emotionally in tune with They Clone Tyrone pretty much all the way through. And it was a big surprise, so that's part of it too. Just like, where did this movie come from? But I, I, I don't understand why someone could be like, yeah, it was great, but it's it's disposable, like whatever. Well, but the, yeah, but I, I think that's for I would I can sympathize with this point. I do think it succeeded on its own terms, but it's not like it opens new possibilities for what the genre can do, for what these actors does could it do. have to. Well, I, I think. For a five-star review in my book, it would. I mean, to look at it from this sort of, does it go beyond its own success and, you know, push something else in a new and unexpected direction? I guess I think it sort of does that. I'm I'm very mm-hmm. curious to see what what Taylor um, yes. does next. We'll see what Jewel Taylor can do. I mean, it's this is much more self-contained. I think. I think, you know, sorry to bother you pushes a little bit past those boundaries, again, because it represents the sort of labor movement that can have this resonance somewhere else. I mean, it's a risk because that also takes you out of a very strict genre structure. Right. And so that, I think, is where, you know, They Clone Time Run is a very strict genre structure. Yes. And it does very well with it, but it's not, yeah, it's it, it, it works within it very well, firing on all cylinders there. But again, it just, it doesn't have that push beyond. Okay, I, that's I felt, that's I felt my interpretation that. there, but yeah, for what? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fun, but you do have to pay attention. I'll yes, say. it's dense. It's my, yeah, it is. It, it's like it, it's dense. It's it just. But no, I mean, like if you if you don't pause it when you go and get your snacks or whatever, you could miss something that ends up getting referred it's to called back. Either a joke it, that's called back, or yeah, something. yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. so it it does build on each on itself in really interesting and productive ways. My, my husband tapped it. He was trying to watch his phone and the screen at the same time and eventually was just like, I can't no. <laughs> and I think, I think the dialect is also like, because you have to read it. You it's know, very cursy don't. movie. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of foul it's, language. It's a lot, yeah, um, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of cursing. It's a real colloquial kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you either sort of get into that rhythm yes. or, you know, my poor husband, non-native speaker of English. Like anytime we get into, it's, it's you know. British movies. I read the subtitles for the British movies, so in a lot of cases. Um, but I, I really, anyway. I really loved it. It's, yeah. it's my biggest. It's my best. My favorite film of the summer All by right. far. And I think, I think it, it's being under. I, it's gotten good reviews, and people like it, and people are praising yeah. it. But I, yeah, I genuinely think it's. I think it's a special movie, and in, in the vein of like a Get Out, 
of of just this new black voice hitting the scene. And I don't know if it's it's getting enough credit for being that personally. I think people are like, yeah, it's good, it's fine, it's on Netflix, blah blah blah. And I, I think I think people <laughs> should should appreciate it. And he should be revered. I don't know. I don't know why I'm so going to back for this movie, but I you really I, are. I did watch it twice within 24 hours. Oh wow! Um, I just really okay. love it. Well, I, I respect that. I, now, can I ask you, um, Erica Badu over the end titles? Yes, she says. D- did you know that song? No, but I knew. <gasps> I knew the reference. I knew what you she knew did. Re- okay. I know what she did in the song. That song was such a hit in my freshman dorm. <laughs> It sounded familiar, but I don't oh think I... Oh, my God. I don't think I... Legendary song. Erica Badu. Did you listen to the new one? The the one that... Uh, the, yes. Over, can I tell you, having... Because, I mean, you don't get a title like this without <laughs> yes. thinking... Yes. Where is Erica Badu coming? Like, again, like, it's just speaking to my generation here. And then having her actually sing yes. this version over they the end titles. This tops even the Black Sabbath at the end of Iron Man. Which I was in the theater when that happened going, yes, 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 yes. And this was also just like, yes, Erica Badu. And she's singing a new version. I couldn't believe it. Do you know what you know when that there? happened for me in the oh entire round? It was um, Love Hangover by Diana Ross. <laughs> I went, they're playing Love Hangover. No one, no one else was doing that. <laughs> but I happened to love Love Hangover by Diana Ross. Oh, just, yeah. But saving that as like the cherry like, on top at the end yes. was, was some magisterial restraint yes yes yeah i also the, the weird uh, cranked up film grain look hmm, to it I, yeah. I, I like the look of it a lot and the lighting design was yeah. really cool yeah i think it's good it's, it's yeah yeah aesthetically it. it is interesting as well yeah. it's better than asteroid city <laughs> there i said it. well, it's it's doing a completely different thing it's better than barbie <laughs> it's better than oppenheimer <gasps> it's the best film of the summer oh that, that's a take. That's a take. Do it not is a take. Me. It is a take. <laughs> yeah, Colleen does not agree with these opinions. Um, but then we saw a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, we did. Uh, I I asked you to to do one more supplemental. Yes, film this that was film a bit we were going to talk up. about for just as long. I don't uh, think so, and I, but there's a good reason for it. So I I got on the plane and I I was watching these movies and what did I find in the collection of movies on the plane? But Weird, the Ali Yankovic story, uh, which was released last year. Yes. Um, and that was the first thing that I watched, and I loved it so much. I wrote a little note <laughs> to, to my husband, oh. to my husband, who was like off in a different row because I'm with the girls and he's off somewhere. I, I wrote a little note like, "Watch weird immediately." <laughs> passed it to my daughter, who passed it to my husband, and he watched it too and enjoyed it. But just it is this this you can explain the premise and you still have to see it. It's it is a. Of course, it's a parody of the biopic which, that only Weird Al can accomplish. The music biopic, which yes. has been done before. So many times. Well, it's been done, I think, very well uh, yes. to a point of excess in the movie uh, Walk, Walk, Hard, Walk Hard, a Dewey Cox, Dewey Cox story. Yes. We have to reference that. It, it is a genre that has already been parodied. Yes. But you've got the added layer, of course, that Weird Al Yankovic is a parody musician and doing a parody of the music biopic. And so it's a layer that matters. It's a layer that allows for a whole lot of leeway. And a lot of and a lot of just more goofing. Like, well, oh, yeah. just, the, the thing that and, and, and pop culture references too, but the thing that. Um, uh, Weird Al, I saw just a, an interview with him, uh, with Seth Meyers, with him and Daniel Radcliffe, and apparently the impetus for it, the director of Weird, forget his name. Eric Apple. Um, he directed a Funny or Die skit 
where he was inspired by the Notorious B.I.G. biopic, because specifically that takes a lot of creative license Ah. in terms of how it depicts Notorious B.I.G. Okay. And so he was like, what if I extrapolated that to a ridiculous extent? And then I did did it with someone who already is a parody of this type of, you know, music industry mm-hmm. persona. Yeah. And so it wasn't coming from the same place as Dewey Cox, which was more from the walk the line, Ray yes. Yes. sort of biopic. Yeah. That was sort of, of like tragic childhood into, yeah, yeah that kind of Not thing. first, it's not technically first generation. We've had music biopics yes. in classical Hollywood as well, but yeah, walk hard sort of marked an end of that particular cycle. Yes. And now we've had other... Once I, I watched Elvis as well. Yeah. The same flight is weird, and and you could see it. Yeah. So, but I mean, there are things that are going on now with these biopics, both music and otherwise, that I think are more interesting. I mean, Oppenheimer is technically a biopic. Yeah. Yeah. I no, mean, no, yeah, no. but that's the thing. Like, you have to sort of think, like, oh wait, yeah, <laughs> get right down to the title. So, you know, it's it's sort of expanding in interesting ways. There's a, a level of experimentation that I think was not as um, visible before. And, of course, it makes sense that we get a different sort of parody to skewer it in, in key ways. But, uh, what is your favorite Weird Al song? Uh, um, oh, gosh, we just talked about this yesterday, and I can never remember. Um, Amish Paradise. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah. That's, I think Amish yeah. Paradise is the best song outside of the thing it's parroting. Because I think Gangster's Paradise, mm. I, I had not heard that before I had heard really? Amish Paradise. Yes. Oh, but see, that was a huge... Yeah, it's just, it's generational. That was a for huge me, song in its own right. For me, it was came. White and Nerdy. That was the one that oh, okay. hit the scene when I was, mm, which okay. has key and P in it randomly. Did I you guess, know that? The no, music video? That. They show up in the White ah, and Nerdy music video. Makes sense. Um, they're driving the car. Okay. Um, no, but I mean, you know, I... I would have been a, a young child when Weird Al was doing like the Michael Jackson parodies and but the for Madonna me it's, parodies. It's, it's like that, a surgeon. Like a surgeon it, is great. Uh, I, I listened I lost to it on last Jeopardy, night. I think is really funny. Like a surgeon, <laughs> he says, "I got your kidneys on my mind." There's something about the the juxtaposition, and I and I grew up with a lot of Madonna, and the, the video for "Like a Virgin" is so. It's so like of that era it where really it's is. her on a gondola the, and dancing provocatively, dancing provocatively and in there's five a, different layers of lace. There's a lion for some reason, for, for some reason. And then yeah, Weird Al just puts a lion in a hospital. And I did not check this. I was going to check it. I, it felt like the Zucker Brothers because that was also my first experience with Weird Al. Is Weird Al has a very has a lot of funny cameos in the Naked Gun movies. Mm-hmm. So do you know mm-hmm. this joke? So it's hard to describe it, but Leslie Nielsen is getting off this plane and there's a crowd of people waiting outside the plane and he's just done this incredible thing. And he starts walking up to the podium and he starts talking about how his heart has been broken from his ex-lover and his police chief goes, "Uh, uh, they're not here for you. A Weird Al is on the plane. (laughs) And Weird Al comes out and goes, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, He does that periodically. He shows up periodically, Weird Al. Um, And that was my first experience with him. Oh man! And then, like a surgeon, feels like it's directed and and is is in the style of those Zucker Brothers yeah, yeah. airplane. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I did not see UHF. I don't know if you've you know that's the other big Weird Al that's creative a, yeah. driven movie. I, I think it was sort of referenced obliquely, but not really. Yeah, I mean the the, the whole thing with Doctor Demento. And, yes, and, like, so, I like, didn't know what that was. You no, know, there's a grain of truth to his rise. Yes, um, which like there's part of that that is sort of how it happened, as far as I understand. You know, I'm not um, like a. He apparently an, did a, record in a bathroom. 
Probably, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I know, like, like he was sort of broke on Doctor Demento, this like radio show that played novelty hits and things like that. I mean, this was before my time, so played we're by sort of Rain Wilson. Yes. Great. Yes. Um. So, uh, but, but I mean, we have these grains of truth and these like key moments of the the artist's life that are the staple of the biopic, and each one of those beats is played so that it goes off in some. <laughs> unpredictable direction i mean to the point where and, and and this is the joy of a movie like weird like at a certain point you really truly have no idea where this movie's gonna go none zero and it's just they do overplay slightly the joke but they find new flavors of it of like every one of his song parodies is based off of something from his life that yes it doesn't yes. make any sense yes like his dad going i well you know i was raised amish yeah <laughs> it's like what <laughs> yeah um yeah but the uh, but like the, the the spin that eat it came first yes. and then michael jackson did yes. his and parody and, and i'm think i'm th- of course that i'm hearing this going do the kids know they're michael jackson well enough right. to understand like right. this is How not many what he's literally arguing most of the jokes and weird is weird I just for know. us Colleen? i think that's the question i don't even yeah this is a, a weird venn diagram of our cultural it's, knowledge it's true i think if you can recognize enough of the cameos <laughs> Like there should be some sort of test uh, with the cameo. If you can Grace recognize Jones. them, um, I guess. Yeah, uh, my favorite cameo is Conan O'Brien yes, as Andy Warhol. Yes, yes. But I have to admit, is when I first saw him, I thought it was Richard Kind. I'm very sorry, Conan O'Brien. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, having him as Andy Warhol was really great. And Jack Black as I don't know if he was playing a Jack real person. Wolfman. Yeah, Wolfman Jack was also a real person. So it, it is. It's it's you know the reality <laughs> is so like tamped Evan down Rachel Wood as Madonna, which she. The lead performances are yes. Yeah, I know Radcliffe plays it one hundred percent straight. Radcliffe is fantastic. I mean, he's the MVP. He knows with exactly what he's head doing. Head and shoulders. He's great. Honorable mention goes to Evan Rachel Wood, who is also fully in the tank and nails what she's got to nail. Blows bubbles. Is given so much to do, and she just eats it she up. Wants, it's great. She wants the Weird Al bump. Oh, from, it's so from, great. From the parody. So great. Um. I wanted, if a brief side note, I wanted to comment. I really appreciate what Dana Radcliffe has done post Harry Potter. He's done a lot, a lot of weird, interesting things. The yeah. very first film he did after Harry Potter, one of the first, um, I would say Emma Watson has done this as well, though she kind of, I, I mean, she did Beauty and the Beast, but that's fine. Um, I don't know if he's quite done a big Disney thing <laughs> the oh. same way. I mean, fine. Emma Watson can, I mean, Disney can offer They can her all beauty. do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. But um, he did like a, like a Hammer Brothers, like gothic horror movie was like the first thing he did after Harry Potter. It's this little movie called The Woman in Black. Have you ever heard of this? No. It's not great, but it's this weird little atmospheric horror film. And Daniel Radcliffe's like, I want to do that. That's the thing I want to do. He also did Swiss Army Man. I remember. As the bloated I have not corpse. seen it, but yes. He's, he's really good as, as a bloated, bloated corpse. corpse. He has to maintain his eyes open the entire time and give an effective performance. Yes. And uh, and then I saw him in Equus. So I, I feel uh, like I have a weird connection. You saw with him. him on stage. In I Equus. saw him on stage with Equus, wow. surrounded by adoring uh, t- uh, young ladies. Seriously, the yeah. audience was full of Potterites. Oh, oh my God! What, are you kidding? He gets wow. naked in the play. I know. That's um, like with, yeah. They all wanted to see Potter's wand. I thought of that. I thought of that joke yesterday. But anyway. Good night, everybody. <laughs> You did the what was the you did the terrible the other one, flash in the pan. Mine was better. Mine's more body. Anyway, um, no, what I really appreciated about Equus, partially he was really good in it, but also 
it's it's they were all there to see Dan Radcliffe do his uh, get naked or whatever. But it was like a really effective, like horrifying psychological. Uh, I don't know if you know the play Equus. He's obsessed with horses yes, yes, and he yes. stabs horses. There in was the eyes. there was so much press about that play when it came out. Yes, I've read about Equus. So the fact that it was that much more disturbing and yep. well executed made it more fun for me because all these people were there to see something that <laughs> the play was not, not equipped not gonna, to really right. give them. Um, <laughs> but then when he got out, it was like ear deafening the screen. Yes. Well. So I feel a real connection to Dan Radcliffe because. I've, I've seen him live. I've, 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 of course, grown up with the Harry Potter film. So, yeah, it was nice to see him in this and uh, doing a great job um, and uh, really getting the joke of him being in it. Yeah, great. Not All much right. else really to say about Weird. It's no, a, it's, just, it's a yeah, funny if, if, movie. If that, yes, if that sounds like something you would like, go watch it immediately because it is that's a fun, fun flick. And it's in the vein, I will say, of these kind of older comedies, these Zucker yes. Brothers of like a laugh a minute. yes. Uh, and yes, the, and and so good, and just constantly taking like even the concept of it just occurred to me and made me chuckle when the, the weird owl in the movie is going, yeah, Michael Jackson made a song called Beat It. Yep, it's about like violence or <laughs> like gangs or something. I'm not even entirely sure what it's about. Like him trying to explain what Beat It is about. Yeah, uh, it occurred to me. No one really. I don't really know what Beat It's about. Do you know what Beat It is about? G- gang warfare. Gang warfare. Okay. Is it like a is it like a West Side Story thing? Yeah, kinda. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we don't need to go on a whole Michael Jackson tangent. We Um, don't. Let's talk about Elvis instead, Um, just to go through our quick rundown. Why? Are we ready for a quick rundown? Oh, okay. The the, the stuff that we've seen? Sure. Okay, so Elvis. I didn't know Elvis was part of that. One of the straight, quote unquote, straight um, music biopics. Um, Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann, also from 2022. Um, Surprisingly, Butler deserved the Oscar nomination, not going to lie. I was surprised at how... Um, how impressed I was. Tom Hanks, actually. not so much. Tom Hanks was also very good, but I mean, Elvis does that thing now with with a lot of these biopics, um, not just music biopics, but like we get to the main character through an auxiliary character. Um, Elvis does this with Tom Hanks as the manager, and like we learn that he's not a very reliable narrator at some point. Um, uh, the um, um, also with Tom Hanks, but Tom Hanks as Fred Rogers uh, in Marielle Heller's um, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood does the same thing with this auxiliary. It's a journalist who's going to profile Fred mm. Rogers. And it's really the story of the journalist. And it's through his perspective that we get to Fred Rogers. Um, that's also a wonderful biopic. Um, the, I don't want to derail this, but I got to meet Fred Rogers when I was younger. And that's a whole different story. Did you meet um, Elvis? I haven't. Have you? No. I mean, that's like a whole separate podcast. I did um, see Daniel Radcliffe I on stage. I spent the film 100% convinced that Elvis's dad, Vernon, was being played by um, Fred Schneider from the B-52s. Because again, I was on the plane and I couldn't just look it up. But I'm thinking, that's Fred Schneider. That's Fred Schneider. Like the B-52s. We're going to hear Rock Lobster any minute now. But no, it's not him. <laughs> it just looks stunningly like the guy from the awkward B-52s. if the dad just suddenly I, sang Rock I was Lobster. Like, it, anyway, it was really funny. I mean... There was split screen. It's it's Lerman, so he has these nice formal flourishes. Um, it kind of reminded me of Todd Haynes's Velvet Underground documentary, formally, which I thought was an interesting parallel. Um, anyway, um, I, I I am looking forward to Sofia Coppola's perspective yes. on Elvis' story through Priscilla Presley, 
which, you know, that's another real controversy kind of thing. But Elvis was I was I was surprised I liked it as much as I did. But I did like it. Did you watch it on the plane? I watched that on the plane. You realize that recontextualizes everything. You're just there to to just absorb entertainment you, you, while the time passes. Well, yeah, but you can have there are things that I start. I am a lot more willing to just turn something off if I'm not enjoying it on a plane and just be like I'm watching something else. That's a good click, point. click. So that's a good point. Yeah. So because you, you know, l'embarras du choix. You've got everything in front of you. So that was one. Okay. I have a weird connection yeah. to a plane. Yeah. It's not a movie I can say I watched, but I think I mm-hmm. got the gist of it. Alev started watching Life, which is not at all relevant or recent or anyone knows about it. Life is a movie with uh, Ryan Reynolds, um, J- Jake Gyllenhaal, and Rebecca Ferguson, a pretty star-studded cast. Okay. Uh, they're in space, and what? there's an alien. What? <laughs> That's the movie. Uh, it's essentially an alien knockoff, but with a surprise. It's a very as deep, in like Alien the movie. As an alien, yes. Okay. Um, as in Alien the movie, uh, with uh, kind of a B movie. Like not much happens. It's very much what Alien is. And Jake uh, Gyllenhaal is in with it. Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, I like Rebecca Ferguson. I'm going to talk about her in a second. Um, mm. you, do you know who Rebecca Ferguson is? Yes. Okay. Um, uh, Ryan Reynolds shows up briefly. Uh, but it was one of those movies where we were on uh, Lufthansa, and they don't edit the movie. Uh, for content mm, mm. and it's it's shockingly violent or at the very least mm. the first act of it is really good i was watching it with over a lev shoulder and it's them discovering life and the the thing gets bigger and it's a man looking at it in those weird i don't know what you would call them where your your hands are in a in a uh, in like a, a containment yeah, yes, they are, yeah containment thing and he's holding it and he's sort of tinkering with it and it grafts onto his hand and it breaks all his fingers and it's a <laughs> rivetingly horrifying little scene and then they run in and it goes inside uh ryan reynolds and it it does something internally and you don't know what it's doing you just can see him slowly dying and it i was i was really compelled by it but it was one of those things where i was like i can't watch this in front of atlas mm. or the general public because this if anyone looked <laughs> over my shoulder they'd be like jesus christ <laughs> alien crawling out of ryan reynolds's mouth um I guess spoilers, he dies. Um, uh, but I, I just kind of cut to the end <laughs> to see what would happen. And it has a pleasantly dark ending. Um, but it, I, I can say that I could tell that the movie did not have much going on outside of a good cast and good production value. There it, there was not much of an original idea beyond this more more innocent-looking wisp of a of a life form that grabs onto a man's hand and breaks it that being the most shocking kind of creepy visual in the film but i did not give it much of a chance outside of right skimming it okay um so that was my plain viewing okay I should say. I, i've got more um the fablemans which i we will yes. we will reserve conversation about yes. the fablemans we'll, we'll do a, spielberg, a episode. spielberg episode this yes. season so stay tuned for that um my other i already mentioned i watched the woman king which yes. i highly recommend if you can see it viola davis absolute powerhouse 110 percent. when is she not when, when is she, she not, not? Yeah. this is this is true but i mean this is a film that really like lets her command quite yes. literally yeah yes everything that she's doing my only beef with the woman king is the music it sounds overproduced it's mm. like it's it's like it's too slick for the environment that they're in and i feel like a more it's not as immersive it, i mean it's 
the problem is, is, is it's immersive in that, that like slickly produced kind yeah. of way when like the setting does not ask for this at all. Like they I should think, have gone for more of a not. I have no idea. But they should have gone for more of a Zama. Vibe. I mean, I well, it's not even that because Zama is so like you know formally daring and all yeah. this. I just mean, like sometimes Spike Lee does this too. It's like the music is just so out of the set that we're seeing that it takes you out of the moment. It's like, and I hate the word authentic, but like trying to make the music a little more integrated with what's going on on screen would go a long way. Because um, there are multiple sequences in The Woman King where this happens. And it's just like, just hmm. let the music be with the characters and not this big set yeah. piece for production. Like it would, that was, I think, something that 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 was the, really my only real like you know, the thing that left me a little cold. I also finally saw Nope. Which I, mean, I think you've alluded to Nope. I have alluded to cast. I have alluded to Nope. I have one thing to say about Nope, and then um, I can let you take your turn. And this is hopelessly nerdy, but I haven't seen it anywhere else. The thing I, I liked Nope. Um, Stephen Yoon, always great to see the sound design. As you mentioned, yeah. it's it's absolute next level sound design. It was absolutely robbed from the Oscar. It wasn't even nominated, I no. guess, for some, which is bonkers to me. Um, it's too many ideas. They don't really hang well together. But, um, <laughs> but there. I mean, it is. It's like you know, Peel is established at this point. But it is like he's afraid he's not going to get to make another film. Like there could be a whole yeah. separate film about animals in the screen industry, the role of the viewer in entertainment, digital versus analog cinematography. But no, all of these have to share the same yeah. narrative. And Horses. and. What I saw, and again, I'm I'm so sorry to you and to the listeners. I was reminded of David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest. Mm-hmm. Have you read Infinite Jest? No, I've seen the book. Oh, but there were just there were so many little bits. I would bet money, like hard money, that Jordan Peele has read Infinite Jest because there were just too many little hints of what that book gives you for that to pass, like. For that to not be deliberate, you have like a, a disfigured woman behind a veil. There's this this um, this shared theme of the insistence that entertainment can be dangerous to the point of physical harm, which is very or hypnosis. Much ace, ace in the hole, too. It's yeah, it, like this 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 capacity to invent different diversions, different games. This sort of mm-hmm. you know impulse towards novelty and entertainment. Like Infinite Jest is talking about all of those things okay. as well. I might want to read in it. a similar. You could. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you could. Um, so anyways, that's um, that's my take on Nope. What else do you have? I have the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, I saw that too. <laughs> we could, yeah. Um, I'm I'm the residential gamer of the two of us, I guess. Yeah, but, but you, I grew you up play, on Mario. You did play Mario. Yeah. I shouldn't say that. I mean, that. My, my, my whole line about Mario is if I had all of the hours back that I spent beating Super Mario Brothers 3, I could just get a second PhD. <laughs> But it was time well spent. Sure was. Because you got all the references. Well, in the maybe Super not Mar- all of them, but most of them. Yeah. I didn't finish Super Mario Mother's movie, nor do I care to. That's I got right. to the Donkey Kong. You didn't miss bit. much. Yeah. It's a little like I and I and I and I, I feel bad because I'm representing like I like Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie. Okay. I'm a, I, and, and the one with Alicia Vikander. Maybe there's a reason for both. <laughs> maybe it's a separate conversation. Somebody's missing from this movie. <laughs> Never mind. In particular Bad examples. Um, I like Indiana present. Jones, and they're like you know, uh, female-driven Indiana Jones. Mario films. Brothers. Mario Brothers. 
it's a little frenetic and stupid. Uh, a little? A little bit. It feels like popcorn entertainment for kids. There's some nice references when Peach can float. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, it looks very nice. You saw it in English, I guess, huh? Yes. Okay. Uh, there's a nice, well, they do a flashback and they're baby Luigi and baby Mario. Uh, Char- the Charlie Day, I think, does a great job as Luigi. Ah. Um, Fred Armisen, I didn't. I looked it up. I thought he was terrible was as Cranky Kong. Cranky Kong oh. sounded awful. I don't know what he was doing. Yeah. He's like, hi, I'm Cranky Kong and you're here. I didn't understand. Anyway, that's not how... My Cranky Kong doesn't sound that way. And that turned me off the movie and I turned it off. No, it was partially because Atlas uh, was watching it with us and um, it was it was too hyper and he was getting too amped by it mm-hmm. and it was getting late. And we just became... Elev and I were just sort of exhausted. We were kind of with it initially. Um, and then after a while, it, it, it doesn't really let up. No. It's a lot of frenetic... It is. ...action sequences that are visually very nice. And again, a lot of nice references and... In a, in a similar way to Barbie, oh, I was going to draw on this connection with Barbie, Super Mario Brothers movie, and when we saw briefly on television, this no one cares about this, the Emoji movie. Oh. But in a, in a weird sort of way, Barbie reminded me of the Emoji movie because it's like, how do we justify a movie about a property like this? And I will say categorically. Emoji movie does it the worst because it has all this branding. They do a just dance thing. There's a Twitter bird that they fly on at one point. Well, that's but it's, dated. But it's kind of fascinatingly bad because of mm-hmm. how they're trying to justify why an emoji movie would exist. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no, he's going to select me. Oh, no, he didn't. Oh, God, I need to do the right face for the for the girl he's texting. Like, that's the emoji movie. And in a similar way, brain cells just (laughs) sound you heard. It's kind of fascinating, but uh, we didn't watch, we didn't finish that either. But the the Super Mario Mother movie, it was similar. It's like, how do we justify it? I don't know. It's a pipe, and then they go into thing, and the mushroom makes him big because he's small. And the the princess, she's human, so she got rescued by the toads. It's like it's like them inventing a whole lore behind this the one piece of it and you've mentioned this i think before is uh, i thought jack black was great as bowser, bowser yeah there's a part where he is singing we sang that for about two weeks and he's practicing proposing to kimmick and i had explained kimmick to you who's the well, wizard yeah, the little wizard koopa koopa who's who's dressed as a woman and they're they're doing a reenactment yeah there are moments in it but it's yeah. um yeah, it's a it's I yeah. I, I, uh... Well, I saw it in the Turkish dub uh, with my kids because we had like two hours to kill between a session of bowling and dinner. And like to this day, they're just like, "Mommy, that was the best day ever," <laughs> because they got to go bowling and then to the movies and then dinner. I was like, <gasps> like the trifecta with their other friends. Like it was just, anyway. I understand it did very so, well. I understand why it was popular. I don't think they remember anything about the movie except <laughs> peaches, peaches, peaches. Which, like I said, we listened to for two weeks. It was but, like a ride. It was like a ride at an attraction. Kind of, yeah. But I mean, real props to whoever had to voice Jack Black in Turkish mm-hmm. like just just generally voice actors in Turkey are fantastic yeah, they, nail it, yeah. they really they know their work they they put a lot of thought into it just what a tall order and pulled it off yeah. good job voice actor um, I should have looked up the name but was sort of appropriately growly just, and, yes, and yes 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 like, like you can hear you can hear Jack Black coming through there that's cool It's it was really cool yeah but otherwise not 
necessarily a full not yeah gosh it's kind of meh yeah um i uh, one other big summer movie that i saw and then we can get into our sort of more esoteric choices oh i got a lot of those um i thought you got yours out of the way oh no i got i got (laughs) we get nerdier as the list goes on i saw mission impossible dead reckoning part one okay it's nap time go ahead okay here you go Imagine a world where Tom Cruise in a world <laughs> in a world where, where Tom he Cruise runs, runs out of money and must make another Mission Impossible makes another Top Gun. <laughs> oh, um, it was fine. I, I should say I'm a big fan of these movies. I've talked about it before. Yes. Um, specifically the last one, Fallout, I think is incredible. There's a helicopter chase at the end of that movie where. Henry Cavill talks about how they could have died or they could have, the helicopters could have crashed and it would have been Henry Cavill having a nice <laughs> a camp in the mountain with Tom Cruise. Henry Cavill's gone on record saying that he would be okay with that um, because it looks so dangerous. It's one of the most intense helicopter fights I've ever seen, even if it is Tom Cruise having a midlife crisis or whatever. Um you know, he's a weird guy. I understand that. I understand that no, Tom Wait, this Cruise... one had a helicopter fight? No, Fallout did. Oh, okay. I saw that one. You oh, did? Yeah. Did you like it? I remember the helicopter. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dead Reckoning Part 1, for one thing, it doesn't need to be a Part 1. It, it, it calls back to the, like, Mocking Jay Part 1 and Harry Potter Part 1 and Don't put Breaking part one Dawn title, Part 1. Challenge. It doesn't need. It's a. It's a silly mission. Impo- There's nothing about it that justifies it being a part one of anything. It goes on. The, the action scenes become too long in a movie where they're supposed to be the whole focal point of the whole thing, um, and so that was annoying. Uh, um, the the um, Hadwell. Uh, I need to look up her name. Haley Atwell. Haley Atwell. She's a very charming like uh, thief. In the movie, oh, she has a nice sort of arc, but she's a little bit like a stock character from like a early two thousands, late two thousands movie, where she's sort of a proactive female character, but she's also like, I can't drive the car. You know, she has that kind of energy. <laughs> How convenient! Yeah, and that was sort of annoying. Yeah. Um, even though I like her in the movie, I should say though, final action scene on a train, Orient Express, I think. Very nice. Okay. Very fun. Okay. Silly. Uh, there's a part where they get into a knife fight in the tunnel of a train while hanging on the outside of the train. Like and you the, do. And the sound design for that was incredible. Huh. The sound of the knife slicing, the sound of the 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 tunnel itself when they mm. leave the tunnel mm-hmm. and that kind of vacuum. Phew. Yes. Yeah. I was like, ooh. So it ended strong. Um but it just kind of went on too long, and uh, there was nothing about it that justified the, the length of it, even okay. though there was some fun action. What will you be there. forking over money for part two? Yeah, probably. Okay, so then. Served its purpose. <laughs> but it was a bit of a come down from the the highs of the franchise. Highs, okay, yeah. yes. Well, speaking of franchises, uh, AO, the trippy update of Bresson's classic um, laugh fest, O Azar Balthazar, um, the donkey movie. Are you, are you, what are you I am, saying? I'm changing the subject. AO <laughs> is a Polish movie uh, from Jerzy Skolomowski from Is there a helicopter fight in it? There are no helicopters, but there are absolutely amazing drone shots. Okay. The cinematography in AO is really quite well done. 
formally, it is really interesting. It's hard to fathom that Skolomowski is in his 80s. He has only a handful of feature credits. And this is a very de- very deliberate update of Oazar Balthazar, which is the other donkey movie that you may have seen. You know, black and white, Bresson, existential dread for days. You know, anyway, real pathos, some really unexpected twists in the action. Um, with the donkey? Including, with the donkey, yes. And including a cameo from Isabelle Huppert. And she came on like, Huppert! <gasps> and apparently the same thing happened at Cannes when it was there, because this was not how they led with it. And everybody, <gasps> there she is. <laughs> but it's, yeah. Um, so I'd recommend AO, especially if any of that sounds good. Um, but yeah, I don't think you need to understand the source text or anything, but it, it's... The way that it does the update is also interesting. Did you see that on a plane as well? Which one? Did you see that on a plane as well? No. Okay. Um, okay. AO, AO is on Mubi. I have to say, okay. Mubi, I can't, you know, when you switch countries, if you have a Mubi subscription, when you're in the States, you get US Mubi. And once you come back to wherever you live, you get wherever you live. So coming back, it was like a totally different palette to choose from <laughs> for, for, for Mubi. And so there was so much good. Stuff. There's still so much good stuff. I have not caught up with everything, but AO was on and I thought, yes, I wanted to see this. And so I, I watched that. I also watched Corsage. Which I did Marie not Kreutzer. get around to. I said I would maybe try to watch that. Yeah, well, eventually, because you have a project that I think fits with this. But Corsage is um, Vicky Creeps as an Austrian empress, Empress Sissi, uh, late 19th century period piece. Um, now, Empress Sissi is a real like legendary figure in Europe. Not so much in the States. So as an American watching this movie, I'm just like, I got no cultural baggage whatsoever. Vicky Creeps was fantastic in <laughs> Phantom Thread. That's about what I'm bringing to this. Um, it looks. is, it's a really great example of um, a, a, a variation on what you have termed a woman with a problem film. Um, but this problem is middle age and it's very explicitly middle age. Like the f- opening bit is she's turning 40 and this marks a turning point in her life and her duties as empress. And she tries to sort of minimize or shrug off these duties as best she can so she can actually go live her life because her her son is like old enough to, you know, leave the palace and her daughter is old enough to be a pain in her butt. Um, so anyways, it's just it's this character study of a middle aged woman. That is the entire point of the movie. Um, as such, it's an interesting example, but I don't think it's the best. The best one that I would say is called L'Avenir, or Things to Come in English. And that was from 2016, Mia Hansen Love. Um, also, Uper is in that one. Uh, Claire Denis had one, Let the Sunshine In with um, Binoche. Um, that's adjacent. It's more focused on romance. I mean, arguably, Everything Everywhere All at Once is a movie like this, where it's a woman really wrestling with middle age. They mm-hmm. they take it through a whole other genre filter. But I, I have noticed there are a lot more of these movies. I mean, European art cinema seems to be the hotbed for a lot of it. But of course, Everything Everywhere um, takes a totally different spin on it. Um, Hollywood doesn't deal with middle-aged women quite so well or deal with the problems of middle age quite so well. I tried to watch The Meddler on the plane from Lorene Scafaria, who we talked about um, with Hustlers. That's also her movie. And so The Meddler, she wrote it and directed it, and I couldn't finish it. I, I did get about halfway through, and I was like, I'm not finishing this. Susan Sarandon is simply making too many like horribly bad decisions, and I don't want to see where this is going. <laughs> but, I mean, Corsage... Um, corsage you, you do want to see what's happening next. Like it, you see this weighing on her in specific ways and, and it bends history and, and fantasy, like actual documented history and total unreality in interesting ways. Um, so I, I, rec- I recommend it. Creeps is fantastic. She herself turns 40 this year, um, hopefully with less 
um, personal drama than her character had. It's a good um, way to get that out of your system. I I, I would guess, yeah. Speaking so, of middle age, yeah. What about from a man? man's perspective oh yeah that's exactly what we need yes what's lacking in this world <laughs> yes we desperately need that right um no uh, in terms of movies we're catching up on i yeah. just uh, haphazardly on a lazy summer afternoon i put on another round ah yes which is a great time to watch that movie i also watched that recently yeah. um, it was on netflix i think it yes, still is it it's is also still it's also on movie turkey at the moment so it's it's kind of everywhere. It's Mads Mikkelsen. Mads. I'm a, I'm a huge Mads Mikkelsen fan. And he's great in that movie. Isn't he's he? great in everything. What he's great about? in everything. But I mean, he he captures that angst, I very compellingly. Yes. Yeah, so, well, there's also that the sort of academic angst That's, too. Well, he's a high school teacher. It's a little different. But but there's but the great bit where the, the parents come and confront him, and he says, "Well, if they weren't on their phones all the time, maybe they would get something out of it." And the parents all go, hum, 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 hum. Yeah, "Yes." And he's like. Oh, no, never mind. I'm, I'm, I'll do my best, blah, blah, blah. Yep, yep. Like confronting the parents. Um, but he, uh, this this movie is directed by uh, this, the Danish fellow, right? Mm, I think so, yeah. Thomas Vinterberg, uh-huh. who made another movie with him called The Hunt, which I would recommend, which oh, okay. is not a pleasant watch at all. <laughs> uh, it's, it's soul-crushing, uh, horrifying, um, but uh, in Dread for Days. But um, Mads Mikkelsen gives a very, a similarly very wonderful performance. It's one of... It's a nice thing to see him because it feels like with these Hollywood movies, speaking of Indiana Jones, he's like the evil Nazi in that. He's often the evil villain figure because he has a scowl that no one else can match. Mads mm-hmm. Mikkelsen. Yeah. Um, uh, something that Alev pointed out is he also has mixed with the scowl because he's a handsome fellow, but in sort of an unorthodox sort of way. Oh, yeah. He also has just sort of a, a, a like a, like a, simmering we're going to talk about this in relation to like female like showing sexual interest but also like men showing sexual interest in movies Hmm. and Mads Mikkelsen specifically with um, his male co-star in Hannibal I don't know if you knew Ah, this oh yeah there's a whole ship thing oh yeah it's a it's a a male it's a it's it's a gay romance essentially what Hannibal is yes and the way Mads Mikkelsen it looks in that movie because he's also wanting to eat people so there's a weird conf- <laughs> there's a weird confluence of serial killer eating and desire that Mads Mikkelsen can pull off. Mm-hmm. Not so much in another round. I just uh, I should no say, that that doesn't enter at all. Yeah. No. no. Um, uh, another round. He's playing very much like the hunt. He's playing a very much kind of normal guy. Yes, it's a who who is dealing with middle age yes. and estrangement from his wife, and he gets along with a bunch of other uh, male teachers, and they decide to periodically drink. And see what happens, and you can and guess try to write the, some self ethnography about it. I you, guess to justify some, what they're doing, yeah, but, which is stu- silly. And yeah. then they, um, and then things go about as well as you would expect. Yeah, see, like that's a bunch of bad decisions that is still somehow compelling. Like I still kind of want to see how they turn out. And I, I was really impressed with the. I don't know how much you're familiar with like Dudley Moore or Arthur, but I, I find that drunk comedy hmm. something that is not aged very well. Huh. Though I do like Dudley Moore and Arthur. He has some great one-liners. But the idea of a drunk comedic character right. yeah. Um, yeah. has not been... But I found another round balance that really it's well. It's trying... Yeah. I mean, it, it knows what it's doing is a little risque. And but how do we a, tow that line? It's just... It's, you know, putting there's a excitement in Where they're age. fishing drunk. Oof. And it's mostly them improv, by the way. They, they apparently did get drunk when they were preparing to film but mm-hmm. they didn't get drunk while filming but mm-hmm. they filmed themselves getting drunk to look at for right reference. so they can 
Yeah. Allegedly. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen talks about this. And uh, and there's a bit where they're fishing and Mads Mikkelsen is using the net to try to spear the fish. <laughs> and I found that very, uh, it's just a little little improv bit of like, why am I even using this net to, you know, I'm just going to start to spear it. Um, yeah. Just letting the actors kind of have fun yeah. and tear loose. It has a bit of an emotional ending yes. and the denouement i'm going to use it as a video essay so i'm not going to get into that but okay. just weird spontaneous yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah ending great um uh so that ties into middle age uh yeah. do you have anything else uh, uh one more plane watch which I, i'm not sure you if you watch i watch 50 movies on the plane we had the same flight basically <laughs> I don't know. Like, did you actually sleep? Is that what you were doing? No, it's what this is this is worth shouting out because it's it's an interesting example. Um, it's a an animated film called Away, um, directed, edited, scored, and animated by the same person. Uh, this Latvian filmmaker by the name of Gintz Zilbalotis. I'm sure I butchered that. Um, but Away is the title of the film from 2019. It's you know so it's just this solo venture into animation which just in terms of the scope of achievement is already something um it's like video game style visual design it's rather pixelated it's not super sophisticated in its animation you know we're not talking like studio ghibli or anything um the plot is very straightforward um but um, there were some like like there's this sort of dark cthulhu type presence on an island like it's it's this this i'm in Young, yeah, it's this young young man slash boy who is sort of stranded on this island and has to dodge the Cthulhu darkness and, you know, and just, I mean, it's it's very slight, but it's somehow compelling and eerie and, yeah, some of the visual design, even if it is just sort of like 8-bit Nintendo, um, kind of gets you in the end. So just in terms of solo achievement, I want to shout that one out. I've not, uh, this is a random, this is taking up too much time, but uh, I... Uh... There's a game called There Is Nothing Under the Lighthouse, and it's visually designed to look a little bit like the lighthouse. That sounds like Lovecraft. And it's and it's pixelated to look like an old PlayStation game, and mm-hmm. I just like the I, concept. I like everything about that. And, of course, the point is to go and look under yes, the lighthouse. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's the title of the game. Yeah. That, anyway, that's what it reminded me of, something yeah. simple like that. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, we can talk about, like, older movies we watched. Oh, yeah. The Piano, please. Uh, Harvey Keitel. I man. was going to go with Snow White, Pinocchio. Oh well, I mean, we could talk about Disney. I have a whole section on Disney, but there's not a lot of crossover the between piano the, man. the Piano and oh, Snow God. White. Jane Campion can make movies. News we flash. Knew, yeah, we knew that. <laughs> she, <laughs> in case you weren't aware of this, the Piano not is seen amazingly. I had never seen the Piano. I haven't seen no. it. Still. No, that's also on movie at the moment. And Keitel is so hot in this movie. <laughs> I feel like you're driven a little <laughs> bit by maybe a little bit. Um, I like the thing I like about the piano is there's so much that's just sort of not explained. Um, it is also extremely 90s in ways that I struggle to articulate, but there is something of the moment about the piano, even though it is a period piece from like a hundred years prior. Just like this editing and it's just yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it is of its time. Definitely worth going back to catch up on if. And Power of the Dog while you're at it. And Power of the Dog while you're at it, yeah. Yeah, man, that was a great one. But not not as... not as uh, sensual. Uh, We we watched Snow White, Pinocchio, and Alice in Wonderland in preparation for going to Disney World. Oh. Um, Pinocchio is... Breaking out the classics. Pinocchio is a Cronenberg (laughs) masterpiece. How how long has it been since you've seen Pinocchio? Like Disney's animated Pinocchio, a long time. They did the... We talked about the Del Del Toro Toro one. one, yeah. 
There is a Pinocchio is great. I remember it being traumatizing as a child. I'd seen it many years ago. Oh, these old Disney ones, man. But she, wow, there is a scene in Pinocchio where a boy turns into a donkey yes. that is handled like a chrono. It's handled like the fly. It's handled like <laughs> a, like a nightmare. Yeah, and him realizing it. And th- there's a detail in Pinocchio because for those who don't know, they go to this pleasure island for boys. Woo, uh, <laughs> where. The- <laughs> Where they're destroying it, and they just completely destroy the amusement park, and it's, a, and they're Pinocchio smoking, which mm-hmm. they have a little warning that says, "Of course, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah." Um, and I'm like, "What the hell is this?" I've completely forgotten about all this, and it, it's a it's a ploy to turn the boys into donkeys. But yeah. there is an an extra dark detail, Colleen. Sorry to bother you. Right, yeah, where yeah. there is some boys that have that still speak English and some boys who Don't, have become yeah. donkeys. They're hee-hawing and they, And yeah, that's because yeah. they've been a donkey so long they've forgotten how to speak. That is in a Disney film. Yeah, well, it is from, what, 1941? Genuinely. Old it's old. Uh, skin-crawling horror of that. And Don't then go back and read Grimm, man. Grimm's fairy tales. Man, they, they didn't stray quite so far from the source texts back in the day. And I do want to watch the Del Toro one, but it, it uh, is, Del, it's Del a good adaptation. So and I also yeah, wanted to shout out, we really talked about Blanca. Blanca Nieves. Blanca Nieves. Blanca Nieves. I think Blanca be, Nieves. Okay. We, is that how you pronounce it? Blanca Nieves. Okay. Are you Spanish? I, I you? studied Spanish. Okay. Did you not study Spanish? I, probably. <sighs> um, I wanted to say that animated Snow White, I think I from watched it on a bus. 30s. From the 30s. From the 30s. Yeah. As as someone who appreciates film history, that oh, movie yeah. has a lot going for yeah, it. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's the, oh, it's the, the, a legend the... in history. Yes, but I didn't. But it there, it's not barely a movie. Like there's nothing narrative about it. Like no one is no one is jumping out of their seat to understand the rich history of Snow White in the same way. I'm talking about like the the character. She she doesn't have much of a character. She's very naive. She runs into the woods. She sings a lot. My, that's you're shrugging, but that's that's what it is. But <laughs> yeah. I, I I I could really because it's so simple. There's a the red. The, she's just called the queen, which I love. The evil queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the fact because they didn't have much money, probably that there's barely any subjects in her kingdom. Like it's so stark. She goes into a dungeon. There's no one there. There's a hunts. <laughs> there's a huntsman who ha- helps her out. But you know, you expect like you think of like Disney movies today or animated films. There's crowds of people, and blah, blah, blah. it's like no, it's just very simple. It's just her, and and it's like it's like a theatrical production, mm-hmm. um, and you just appreciate the character design. The queen is doing this sort of Norma Desmond yeah. performance yeah, oh, yeah, that's being yeah. rotoscoped. But it's um, not rotoscoped. It is. What? Yes. Really. I don't know if it's what exactly what they would call it, but it's I drawn over a performance. Well, okay, but. Then okay, because that's how they did it. Yeah, okay. I didn't, okay. Snow White. I, yeah, they, I know that. Yeah, that they did. That she's dancing and they. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the dwarves maybe not so much. So I, I, I and then I just I have a new appreciation for Snow White now. Alice in Wonderland is fine. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland is a weird, trippy nightmare. Um, do you want to? Did, you, did I, you? I well, okay. If we're gonna talk about Disney, I'll jump over to those for a second. Um. Sword in the Stone, which I do recall watching and enjoying. It's a, uh, a very loose adaptation of The Once and Future King. Um, so Arthurian legend. But Again, it's really... we've, we've moved on from summer films to just films we've watched this, this summer. summer. Yeah. Um, 
re- this was a rewatch for me with the kids. Um, the thing I remembered most was um, Merlin's owl named Archimedes, who's very cranky. Um, and that was fun. This is you know pre-Don Bluth era Disney. So it's 1963 for this one. There are serious voice problems. The kid is played by three different actors and you can really hear it. Um, but The Sword in the Stone was fun. That was a, a good one. Um, less fun was The Black Cauldron from 1985, which, you know, in my mind, I thought I must have seen this. It's 1985. Okay. Like it's, it's that fantasy stuff and again it's like it's a little creepy okay but you know my you know my especially my elder daughter likes the creepy stuff this should be fine put on the black cauldron watching this going you know what i'm not sure this is a rewatch maybe i haven't seen this (laughs) oh my god this is genuinely terrifying The Black Cauldron. I, I immediately I'm, I wanted to watch it more. Yeah, yes. uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's not in the kids' version of Disney Plus. Okay, you have to go, and I would imagine that Pinocchio is also not in the kids' version yeah. because of the cigarettes and all that stuff. So, I mean, there's stuff that is technically rated G, but it's been kind of foisted over to the parental side. Um, holy cow! Yeah, the Black Cauldron gets super creepy, and I, I I'm like googling it on my phone as it's on, and it's like Black Cauldron was banned and re-edited because of how creepy this was. I'm thinking, well, yeah, <laughs> not my best parenting moment of the summer, but we watched the Black Cauldron. I was raised on those Donald Bluth, uh, yeah, the, the Don ones Bluth where he era, went. Yeah, Don, not yet. Is Don Donald? Bluth. Don Bluth. Donald is not part of his name at all. Uh, it's just Don Bluth. He's I call him Don Donald. Bluth. We're, we're tight. Yeah. Uh, Don, I watched uh, the, yeah, the All Dogs Go to Heaven. And uh, yeah, his film, after he broke very, with Disney yeah. and and did some of those, yeah. Um, we watched The Fox and the Hound. Not much to say about that. Kurt what? Russell, Kurt Russell is the main dog. What are you talking about? I love I just, Fox and the Hound. You know, it's whatever. It was fine. What the? There's what? a dog, there's a fox. I didn't expect you to cute. sit here and diss Fox and the Hound. It's, it's not a diss. It's just, I don't know. It it's emotional. I, I had a... Friend okay. growing up, and he had a fox, and I had the hound. Wait, you had a s- fox? Your friend had a fox? No, it was Your... it was a stuffed animal. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> and then we went our separate ways, and I'll never see him again. And this is a sad story. Maybe he's listening to the podcast Maybe he's right listening. now. Maybe we'll be reunited. Um, there is the part in Fox and the Hound where he's, the, of course, the female fox is like flirtatious and. Uh, promiscuous is a weird yes. word, well, and a lot of a lot of Disney women are problematic, and uh, uh, and uh, and even the foxes are apparently problematic. Apparently, yeah. One thing <laughs> and, I noticed. No, no. I, yeah, sorry. He says, "You no good, female." He, he, oh there's yeah, a there's line a lot of and I'm like, "What a this, weird." This well, this farmer says that a lot. He's like the farmer saying "female" to the. Like owner of the fox that too. bothered me I was, watching I was, it recently yes yeah there's a lot but of the central moments. story about acceptance and and love and friendship i think is fine oh yeah sure that hasn't aged a day um you can see like what i appreciate going back into the tylon um, or whoever put fox and the hound as the cover photo for this episode <laughs> let's not um what I, I what I think was interesting is you could really see some reused character design. Oh yeah, and a lot of these like there were squirrels in a bunch of these movies, and they all look like the same squirrel. Um, there's also this is kind of a tangent, but for Disney generally, multiple films, there is a line: put your back into it. <laughs> okay. I hadn't noticed that. I have, I, for years, I noticed, the first one I noticed was Pocahontas, okay. which I know Disney wants to disavow for probably good reason, but they it's said in Pocahontas and it's just so jarring. It's like, it's such a weird thing to say. It's in The Sword and the Stone. It's in, I think, The Black Culture. It's like a line that is this little Easter egg. Put your back into it. I don't it. think it's in Snow White. 
It's not in every Disney, but it is in so many of them. It cannot possibly be an accident. I Googled it. I mean, that's, a, again, sort of delicate thing to Google because it can it can be twisted in ways, ways you don't want to see on the Internet. Um, I, but if anybody in the sound of my voice can explain this, put your back into it with Disney. My, am I crazy? I don't think I'm crazy. I've seen it, in, again, across decades of production. I it think you're slightly be, crazy. but I, Well, I, I mean, not for this reason, I hope. Um, I, th- I am making it my mission as we go through this back catalog. I should start taking notes um, and really like... That's off to you. No, because truly, like, it's, it's, it's Is it in Fox something that's going on. You so, know what I think it might be? Okay. I think it might be. But it's, it's in multiple of these Disney movies that I've rewatched. And I remember, I just, you know, Pocahontas for some reason stuck with me when I first saw that in the 90s. Like, why is, it's just so weird. But it keeps coming out. Okay. It keeps coming out. Anyway, sure. enough about Disney. Um, do you want to get, so we have categories here. I, I also wanted to. Uh, yeah, I have a couple more to run down before we get to the categories. Well, I was going to mention them in relation to the categories oh. as well. Well. What, what else do you have to run down? Um, Orlando from Sally Potter, another classic from 1992. Tilda Swinton in a career-defining role. It was fantastic. Um, it reminds me of Petite Maman, uh, Celine Sciamma's recent feature, um, in the centrality of its gambit of time and just how sort of shrugged off that gambit is within the plot of the film. It's really it's 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 time and also, in this case, gender that just gets swapped for you know, whatever for, for funsies um it's based on virginia wolf billy zane is in this movie and he's absolute perfection he reminds me of michael hutchins of in excess also of the era billy zane thank how many you. names can you throw into one sentence it's, um anyway um we will not talk about his representation you? of quote-unquote constantinople eek 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 that was not so great uh, but orlando was fun um was happy to see that um, what, what is billy zane up to these days i don't know he, he shows up in up. twin peaks did you know that this doesn't surprise me. He's got a Twin Peaksy kind of face. Um, I managed to see Monty Python and the Holy Grail at the Indiana Theater in my hometown, which has just reopened for theater, uh, for theater going with movies, especially old movies on the big screen. Good for them. I also saw The General, Buster Keaton's The General at the theater. Is that the first time the... you've seen The General? No, I, I've oh, seen okay. The General oh, okay. before, but I just I want to shout out the Indiana Theater because that's just it's it's a fantastic way to see things. Um, Monty Python, especially with the Holy Grail. Um, Seeing it with fresh eyes after my project on the Green Knight and medieval films, and just just in, in evil. It, that's that's the early in evil, yeah. But it's of course a comedy parodying a lot of the stuff about medieval films. Uh, the repetition, the callbacks are just absolutely unequaled in that film, and everything that they set up comes back later, even funnier. It's really fantastic. Um, two more from the podcast extras um, because we watched um, the Ianucci. Um, what, what was the title of that one again? In the Loop. In the Loop, thank you. What We watched In the Loop for a different episode, so I watched his adaptation of David Copperfield, um, the personal history of David Copperfield, adapted from Dickens. You're also super hot Dev, Dev Patel, Patel is in the title role. I thought, Knight. what could possibly go wrong? He's not at all hot in this movie. I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. It's, it's, you know, it's Iannucci directing, and it's there are not really many good mm. jokes it, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's about wrangling one's own circumstances to craft an authentic self. Like, there's a clear message in it. There's some yeah, humor, some social commentary. Yeah. But, but no, like, 
Dev Patel's not hot at all in this movie. It's I'm very sorry. disappointing. I'm sorry. He's Colleen. super hot in the Green Knight. <laughs> there's more to movies than Dev Patel being hot. Uh, or there's not much more, hot. really. We're going to talk Patel about reality hot. bites and that. Oh boy, someone being hot in that played a factor. But anyway. all right, well we'll get to that. <laughs> and and then um, Little Women. I'm just going to yeah. end on Little Women. Watch that also on the I can plane. Make a connection to Little Women. Go ahead. So many. Well, it's Greta Gerwig. So well, no, Bob what? Odenkirk. Oh, that's right. Bob Odenkirk. Yes. Um, so anyway, Little Women, adaptation of Louisa May Alcott. I cried so much at this movie, both at the predictable moments and at non-predictable moments. Going back to my what I said before, like if a woman has directed this movie, I am probably going to cry in ways that I cannot Any predict. Fiona Apple? Um, there was no Fiona Apple okay. in Little Women, okay. um, which is maybe a missed opportunity. But anyway, um, <laughs> Timothy Shamala Marmoset is absolutely miscast. Like he's good at some points, but like he can't age the way that he needs to. Mm-hmm for the time thing that that film has going for it. It's just, he's totally not believable in the later part of life. Um, Saoirse is absolutely perfect. She is a triumph. She is the MVP of a very deep bench in Little Women, including Bob Odenkirk, Laura Dern, Florence Pugh, Pugh, just, but Saoirse, man. We should gear up for- All the stuff people um, said about her in this movie. Man, so, so good. Dune, Um, I think, probably. I, 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 should I read Dune before I see it? Is it worth it? That's really good. The book is good. Yeah. Is it? Is it too like? Yeah. Is, is it too dudeish? Um, Dune. Yeah, Dune is very politically involved in the same way that a Game of Thrones is, and I know they've done a series of Game of Thrones books. Um, but Dune, I think, is well written. You know, it, it's very detailed and it's an interesting world enough to make a film adaptation of twice. Twice. Three times. Three times? Uh, I mean, it's a part two. two That's part not of. the same thing. But we should do a Dune cast. I've, I've been meaning to watch those. Uh, speaking of television, Timothy, Timothy Shella Mahler Marmoset. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Little Women, I'll watch eventually. Bob Little Odenkirk is in that movie. He is, very briefly. As very briefly. Dad, as the, as the warm patriarch. I have no connection to Bob Odenkirk at all. I think he was on a Tim and Eric Night Live where he plays a man obsessed with movie posters. He got started in comedy. Yes. Much I he's, know. He's, he's in, been around he's in a, a long time. M- Mr. Comedy, Show. Yes, comedy nerds are super into Bob Odenkirk. Um, he's very dry. Better Call Saul. Better uh, Call Saul. And he, is his big vehicle Saul of late. Is, is, is great for him in, in the same way as what I'm about to discuss because Saul is a very complicated character. He mm-hmm. does these kind of... I've not seen it, but he's he does these like goofy commercials and he's very performative but it's fundamentally a like a tragic kind of descent into madness very much like most breaking bad things i think mm-hmm. um with brian cranston but um i saw a movie called nobody which i can't convince i can convince nobody to watch it <laughs> so let me use this platform to shout the praises of nobody nobody is a john wick knockoff directed by the man who made hardcore henry what hardcore Henry? It has no interesting periphery characters. Christopher Lloyd is in it. Oh, there you go. Um, and it's about Bob Odenkirk as John Wick murdering lots and lots of people. How does that sound to you? I watched a lot of middle aged men movies, middle aged men movies. Okay, so another round in this. Fall into yeah, the exact I, I feel like another round has a bit more pathos than. Nobody. I mean, there's something about defending your home, Colleen, from evil Russian gangsters that I think most men can get behind. Is that what nobody's doing? That's what nobody we're, does. We're in a new era of the Russian villains, I'm sure. <laughs> well, we've only, it we've feels, only just begun. It feels um, like in the vein of John Wick. Right. 
Well, I mean, that's a little bit complicated. I remember when the first John Wick came out, it was just like, oh, God, the Russians. And now by the time the fourth one comes out, you're like, we are the Russians. It feels in the vein <laughs> of like a B movie. It does it is, not feel yeah. like it has any political commentary well, whatsoever. But it's, it's, you know, there's always that sort of like, let's insert shadowy organization Why do you have to bring... there. Sorry. No, yes, I'm I'm over politicizing a Nobody movie is with an Bob exploit, Odenkirk. Is an exploitation film. I would I would put it in the same vein as like a crank or something. Like it's ah. it's it's B movie, it's it's schlocky. It's taken, but John Wick. It's it's draw it's very funny. It, the, it, to give you an example of the kind of humor, like he he says, I'm gonna F you up to a bus full of gangsters, <laughs> and then immediately he gets punched in the face and he's like, ow, and then he punches, and then they punch him again, and he hits the side of the bus as he's being hit. So he, he says "ow" twice. So it has like almost like a slapsticky, but the violence is very brutal. Mm. Um, it's shockingly violent, and Bob Owenkirk did the training. He did all the work. I think the stunt choreography it was done in part by some of the John Wick people. It was written oh. by the same person who oh, no, wrote so like, John really? Wick. Oh, yes. like the original. Yes. Uh-huh. Different filmmaker, but I think similar producer okay. and people around. So there are it. like legit overlaps. Yes. Not just see one, do and one. And it's very John Wick to the point of it uh, being ridiculous. Like he has a bunch of gold in his basement. Like it, that kind of. Does he have of... a dog? No, but this is the. So it's even less of a motivation. He goes on a revenge rampage or whatever because he's trying to find his little daughter's kitty cat bracelet. That's the motivation for him to go out. So it's that kind. It's it's silly. Um, the violence is extreme. Christopher Lloyd is his dad, and he gets to shoot a shotgun. Um, the RZA is in it. Oh, um, for all you RZA wow. complete <laughs> completists, well, slight spoilers, I guess. Make that a double feature with coffee and cigarettes. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Or <laughs> that. Mo- or that movie. The RZA directed the man with the iron fists. No ah. one talks about that movie. Ah. Uh, with Lucy Liu. Um, no, it, it's 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 really good, trashy fun. It it's a lot of montages, uh, a lot of needle drops. I've re I've been reacquainted. I'm going to use this platform. I know we've really gone over long. I, I everyone who's been listening <laughs> up to this point, you've been waiting for this moment. Listen to Pat Benatar's uh, "Heartbreaker." The genius of this song, Colleen, is it's about a heartbreaker. Okay, it's Pat Benatar singing it. So you, as a man or woman listening to it, imagine yourself, you could be the heartbreaker. Mm. But you're also the person who's saying, don't mess with me, heartbreaker. So it's like a double layer of identification with the silly Pat Benatar song. And the fantasy, the the fantasies that she's referring to in the song are equated to this middle-aged man realizing he's always wanted to live this life of violence. And nobody. That's very Breaking Bad, too, isn't it? But again, it's with a wink. It's not. Right. It's hard to take anything that nobody does particularly seriously. Um, okay. But it's fun. It's really. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't. It did not. Has no political. There's nothing sophisticated. A very throwaway Connie Britton uh, wife character, which you know is not very nice. I think that's her name. She's in Wonder Woman. Gal's got to work. She's got to work. Um, but Bob Odenkirk's great. He's great. He did the stunt work. He he's very deadpan. There's a running joke where he, people go, who who are you? <laughs> and because they're dying, and he will he gradually explains what who he is. He's like, well, I did this thing, you know, this, and as he's explaining it, they die in front of him. 
that happened several times. <laughs> was he what, like an accountant? Well, I don't want to spoil it. He okay, has a particular okay. set of skills, Colleen. Right, yes. Um. Uh, anyway, uh, fun movie, a good Netflix watch again. Right, okay. Fun thing to throw on when everyone's yeah. in bed. Everyone's in bed and it's ridiculously hot outside and all you want to do is curl up in front of your air conditioner. And watch Bob Bo- Bo- have... punch someone in the face. There you go, yeah. All right, are we ready to go to what I'm calling the Yimwitty Awards? You made me watch that, the Yimwitties. The Yimwitties. It's going to take off like that. <laughs> uh, Summer 2023 sure? Yimwitty Awards. We got a couple of different categories. I just thought we could process all the stuff that we've been seeing in a bit of a different way. So um, category of best catch up, no older than five years. What is your... Uh, winner for best catch-up of the summer 2023? Um, I would probably have to say uh, another round, but mm. I did enjoy, and we didn't talk about it, but I did enjoy Glass Onion. Ah, yeah. Which felt very much like a pandemic movie, so that yeah. felt more like a catch-up in that it was like, oh yeah, this came out during this time. Yeah, very um, much of the time, too. I mean, it's it's one of the few movies that managed to put people in masks on the screen and sort of work it into its narrative and really just sort of... But I think not another, dodge it, which is admirable. But I think another round because it was um, very much a movie I was looking forward to seeing since it came out. I think in 2020, and mm-hmm. it was just nice to finally catch up on. Yeah, okay. Mine's Little Women, 2019. Got to respect it when a movie can make me cry. All right, best classic. I set so, this a little arbitrarily as older than 20 years. So I have several that I've not talked about yet. Ah, um, okay. Awful Truth. Ah. And Johnny Guitar. Johnny Guitar. Johnny Guitar. Yes. Um, which is thanks to your enthusiasm that I actually watched the whole thing. Because um, uh-huh. uh, I'm doing a thing on Sterling Hayden, who I love. He's this kind of classical Hollywood, Good thing very masculine actor. Yeah. And I looked, I saw that he was in this movie called Johnny Guitar. I was like, well, this is a weird title. What is this? And and it, you said, oh my God, it's Johnny Guitar. And How so have I, you not seen Johnny Guitar? <laughs> and I watched it and it's great. It's it's yeah. weird. It's, it is. Uh, it's, it's the, the villain in it is a real conniving piece of crap. It's rare to see <laughs> that in a movie where you understand exactly. I know it's a weird thing to harp on. It's this, it's an actress I was, who was not familiar with, but she is so greatly vindictive. In, in a movie, it's about mob mentality, which mm-hmm. I thought was interesting. And Joan Crawford uh, and Sterling Hayden are in this weird sort of Casablanca-esque uh, love thing. And they're sort of campy and fun. And it's sincere when it needs to be. And it was a joyful ride. But I also wanted to mention, it looks very fake, though. The movie looks very of the it's 50s Nicholas Western. Ray. yeah. But it, it looks... Artificiality is part of the point. Is it? Anyway, is yes. It really? Uh, Rio Bravo is a similar thing going on. But I, I also wanted to mention um, Awful Truth, which I think is actually more interesting because for two reasons. One, it's in the vein of when Cary, it's Cary Grant when he became Cary Grant. Mm. Because the director of The Awful Truth, who I will look up, essentially did what Judd Apatow and Paul Feig have done later with comedy, mm. which is more improvisational. And so he basically told uh, Cary Grant and Irene Dunn to cut loose. And and that's when Cary Grant sort of developed his cheeky kind of sarcastic persona. And it's really great to watch because it, it's, a, it's a classic sort of like they're getting a divorce, but then they realize they love each other movie. It's just an excuse to have sort of 
skits. But this director, Leo uh, McCary, directed Duck Soup by ah, the Box Brothers. Okay. So he knows his Comedy. silly yep. setup scenes. There's mm-hmm. a few that maybe are a little too wacky. It's not consistently funny all the way through. But Irene Dunn and Cary Grant have great chemistry. And I wanted to mention this, and we'll talk about this again with Wonder Woman. It's very rare and weird it, for me because it's rare, especially in a movie made in 1937, to see sexual lust, or not lust, but desire from a woman's face on camera in a movie. It's very rare for me to see that. Obviously, women, uh, people flirting, it's very nice to see that in a movie, regardless. We're, um, we're going to talk about the before movies. Um, but Irene Dunn is laying in a bed, and she's sort of looking at, she's basically propositioning Cary Grant. And I just, I, I kind of went, oh, <laughs> oh, this is what this is about. And and in a movie like that, and there's a part in, the, in Wonder Woman that's like that too. And I just found it interesting. There's probably a video essay in there somewhere. Um, I'm noticing these patterns of, that is, maybe you can speak to it, I don't know, but I find that to be very exceedingly rare. It's always male desire for some reason, Colleen. I don't know for why. For some reason. I don't know why that's the focus. Gosh, point. let's let's brainstorm on that. <laughs> but anyway, um, I don't know if you have a, do you have a particular example of that? Like female desire, you know, physical desire specifically, Gosh, not no. just like, huh, like, like full on, like coming after you. Yeah. Oh gosh. I'm not off the top of my head, but I'd have to think about it. It's interesting. It's, inter- it's not as, yeah. it's more rare than you would think. Well, I mean, I think you'd also have to qualify this as, does she end up becoming the femme fatale or is this genuinely uh, like satisfying yeah, like, desire? It, that's and, a good point. And like that's that's the end of it. That's the, the end of the goal. Yeah, it would be sincere. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's I, the I think that's a very important distinction to make. Good point. Um, but I loved I loved the Alpha Truth. It's great. Both of those movies, I would say, are my nominations best for classic. best classic. Yeah, they're both worth watching. I've got the piano, of course, Harvey Keitel for the win. Um, honorable mention uh, off to Orlando. Um, that was also fun. Tilda. Um, best performances. Best performances. This is a tough category. Charlie Day is Luigi. Um, <laughs> but Charlie Day is Luigi. Yeah, he's great. Oh, okay. He's great, Luigi. Who, who is? Oh, right. We're not going to talk about Pratt. Mario, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I am going with Ryan Gosling and Barbie. I think is my number yeah. one pick. He has so much that he has to do. I'm kind of with you. And he really just he sells it. Yeah. He really does. Yeah, I think the movie would be half as good if he wasn't as it's, good. It, that movie falls apart if you miscast the can. Yeah, and I had my doubts, but and I want to say Margot Robbie did, did a fantastic job. Yes, but I think no, but she's she doesn't have to do as much. It's yeah. really interesting, yeah. given that it is Barbie about Barbie, and this. But just in terms of the spectacle of the film, the comedy of the film, the sort of pathos of the film, past the sort of you know the big feminist talking point but even with the big feminist talking points he has that stuff he has to sing he's got to dance just yeah, i'm with you he has to sell the most ridiculous costumes he has to sell those rollerblades <laughs> i mean and the fanny pack i just and he has to carry the bag he has to carry the bag listen uh, is, to our barbenheimer is that, episode is that gonna be theory is about, that, are you gonna connect that with the disney put your back into it no uh, those are two separate theories okay. uh, at least one is contained only with barbie but anyway okay. yes um, my other nominees, Jeffrey Wright, Asteroid City, Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer, Saoirse Ronan and Little Women. Sort of Mads Mikkelsen, Another Round. Yeah. But I, I think Gosling has to take the cake. Yeah. I'm with you on Man. that. Man. Especially for a summer movie. 
That's a very summer movie performance. And I guess best theatrical experience while we're on the topic, yes. probably Oppenheimer. New, yeah, new category, best theatrical experience. Probably Oppenheimer. Yeah. I mean, that's I, I, in terms of money that you paid to go to a theater, yes, yes, I think that's the most worth it. But my best theatrical experience was, I think, actually watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail on the big screen. Well, that's not fair. I, I, well, I... I I didn't say that we had to share these experiences. Who can, it was team who can night. Do that? It was I could. This is my point, and it's glorious that I could. I know it's right there on Netflix. A bunch of the Monty Python movies are now on Netflix. It's right there, and I still shelled out what was it seven dollars to go to Teen Night with my friend Dave, which is who's probably the person I saw this the first time with, like back in high school or whenever. Who can share this experience with you? Nobody, and it doesn't matter. That gets the <laughs> award for my best theatrical experience. But I want to champion places like the Indiana Theater who are doing this repertory work okay. and like just taking movies from the 70s and saying, you know what? Yeah, we're going to charge you seven bucks for it. And you know what? There were more people at that one time only screening of um, of Monty Python and the Holy Grail than there were when we went to Barbie, in fact. I mean, we went at 930 on the Sunday of opening weekend. There were maybe a dozen people and people enjoyed it. But I mean, there were more people out for Monty Python for this. And that's, that's a lesson. That's a lesson. We are trying to pivot to something new in theatrical exhibition. I think what is what should be new is going back to the classics. Really. So, yes, that's my best theatrical experience. Congratulations. Yes. Best Thanks. new release? They uh, clone Tyrone. Really? Absolutely. Oppenheimer. Okay, well. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Mine's more fun. Yes. <laughs> it's that's not a true. theatrical experience, but no, it is. That doesn't I, matter. Uh, yeah. I think I think it, in its totality, I think they clone Tyrone was the most consistent. Like Oppenheimer, I could kind of go, oh, I like this thing. I like that thing better than this other thing. I think Oppenheimer is, is an important in a lot of ways. I think it probably has the best moment of any movie I've seen in a Oof. very long time. Yeah. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and conception oh. and ex- execution and all of it. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, they Clone Tyrone doesn't have anything necessarily like that, but as a movie in its totality, I had the most fun. I had the, I got the most out of, I watched it twice very quickly back to back. I thoroughly loved. That's always Clone a good Tyrone. sign. Yes. Yeah. And I got a lot more out of it the second mm-hmm. time I watched it. Okay. Well, um, good. Are you going to rush? Are you going to rewatch Oppenheimer? I have to go finish Annette. I <laughs> didn't even talk about <laughs> I'm back in my nerd stuff now. I don't know. Well, we I, do I feel have, like Blockbuster minute, season is over, and now it's like. You last know, minute category uh, uh, Best I've, Guilty Pleasure. Paying to watch Monty Python when it's right there on Netflix. You that can't is, just say is Monty Python for the. No but, no, but paying to see it on the big screen when it's on Netflix. More people should do this. Well, given the writer's strike, absolutely. Yeah, also definitely true. But I guess it's an older movie. Maybe it's not. But more people should, I guess, the, the whole issue with that is the streaming platforms, right? Residuals. Oh, know. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they clone Tyrone. I'm sorry. I guess I, that's on the streaming platform. Hopefully everyone got paid for that. But um, and keeps getting paid. Yes. Keeps, keeps getting, getting paid. paid. Yes. Um, so what's your best guilty pleasure? Oh, it's it's nobody. Absolutely. Ah, okay. And nobody. <laughs> nobody has okay. no nutritional value. It's okay. it, but it, like here's the thing with nobody. They made a movie. Like it has a really cool sort of Edgar Wright esque montage showing his mundane day to day life that is way better executed as an opening to a movie than it has any right to be. So they tried. They really tried. You're giving Bob the A Odekirk for effort here. Put, huh? put in the work. No, it's like it's 
it's not a throwaway guilty pleasure. It, it it's it's sophisticated enough for what it is. I see. I just I have to push back against this category of guilty pleasure. I don't believe in such a thing as a guilty pleasure. Why I should think we you feel take... guilty? Exactly. I can like Tomb Raider as much as the next person. That's right. Why well, feel guilty about any exactly. of it? Exactly. Thank you. I will feel I will feel guilty about paying money for something that's on Netflix. But you know what? I think. Do you feel guilty for watching The Green Knight just to look at Dev Patel's? Nope, never. Okay. Nope. (laughs) People are looking at the subtlety of the. Well, to to be fair, I I think The Green Knight gets better every time I do see it. I mean, with you know, Dev Patel aside, Dev Patel aside, like no, it just that's a fascinating film. I I have my own video essay project on that that maybe we'll talk about later. But and that might have been my best catch up if I had watched it. Green Knight, if you if you had watched it, if I had watched it, well, it's it's on both Netflix and Mubi at the moment. So catch it on movie if you can. Watch they um, clone Tyrone first, <laughs> then uh, nobody. I have a then, surprise category. Um, oh no! Before we conclude our our Yimwitties. this four hour episode. Uh, worst parenting through film. <laughs> Screening the Black Cauldron <laughs> for my kids. Was... I have a bad parenting. It's not uh, oh, through man. film. We watched Monsters Inc. with Atlas. We watched oh. all the Toy Stories with Atlas. Yes. But I, I'm playing a game, par- parents and children alike will be horrified to hear this. I'm playing a game called Diablo 4, which as a game I know is completely inappropriate for children. Um, but it's like a top-down game, and you're doing violent stuff, but it's against demons. You know, Atlas is not necessarily paying attention. But my character is a necromancer, and she has a crazy skull, skull mask, and she's dressed out in bones and crap. <laughs> and Atlas just took one look at that and was like... I'm out. He he got very upset, and I felt terrible. So that, that's not a movie, but uh, it was bad parenting to assume that he would not be traumatized by just my character design, much less the actual <laughs> content of it. So I felt bad about Daddy, that. Daddy, is that you? No, Alev said, what are you scared by? And he said, it was like a ghost or something. Like, like he had no idea that what it was. Sounds like the Black Cauldron. Yeah, some <laughs> terrifying thing I couldn't comprehend. Oh, so man. I'm sorry, Atlas. I... I said, yeah, so beware when you go to the parent side of Disney Plus to watch. Alev uh, <laughs> and I might classical. just watch Black Cauldron just for us. You could, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. Sounds like it would be right up your alley, yeah. I, I can't say it's not recommended, but uh, take ratings seriously. That... Is our episode. Do you want me to do the outro? If you would like. Okay. Well, I don't have it ready, so that was a terrible thing for me to say. I got it ready now. Uh, that is our episode. You made me watch that as a production at the Department of Communication and Design at Bill Kent University. You can support the podcast by subscribing with your favorite audio app and by following the Bill Kent Cinema Society on Instagram at Bill Kent Cinema. All one word, as you say, Colleen. Yeah. Our cover art was designed by Denise Vadi Tungur, and our weekly thumbnails are designed by Tylan Uckel. Our theme music was composed by Dozzy Ozovsky. Ozovsky? Again, lovely person. Check out more of his music on Spotify. This ep- episode was recorded by Baton Boldy. Thank you, Baton. Edited by Tylan Uckel and produced by Tylan Uckel and the Bill Kent Cinema Society. Though, I wonder if he's, I think he might be, he's gone now in that way. God love you, he Tylon. He graduated. Yeah, so I don't know if he's, I guess he's still producing it, but he's yep. not affiliated necessarily. With extra testicular to our tech wrangler, Ozjan Akar. And over to you, Colleen, with our episode special thanks. Gosh, thanks to our listeners for humoring us for <laughs> like what feels like five hours of summer rundown. Well, it feels um, longer to us than it's, maybe for it's, them. It's extremely exciting to be back. We have a lot of um, exciting episodes to we come. Did, we did a lot of movie viewing. We have watched a lot of movies, and we hope you have too. So Yeah. 
a lot of good fun stuff. Movies are back. I'm so and excited. And depressing stuff. If yeah. You're into that. Yeah. 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 We got a whole range this summer. Really, we should give thanks to summer of 2023. Uh, solidarity with SAG-AFTRA, Writers yes. Guild, all of them. Go get your bags, kids, everyone. Go for it. Thank you, Wickham. Thank you, Patrick.